Welcome, everybody. Episode number 53 of Sports Cards Live on this October 10th, 2020, Saturday night. Glad to be here. Welcome to the show. Uh, before we get into it, I want to thank last Saturday's guest, Jake Roy of 90s B-Ball Cards. I also want to thank last Wednesday's guest, Ezra Levine, CEO of Collectible, the fractional ownership company. We will be talking a bit more about that later on tonight. I also want to thank, uh, or actually announce, this coming Wednesday, joining me and my guest will be Ryan Johnson. He goes by Card Collector 2 on Instagram, has almost 40,000 followers. He's also the organizer of Trade Night at the National. And then next Saturday, my guest will be Irving Minera, also known as Mustache Breaks, one of the original group breakers. So that should be a great time. We're going to have him on and have a nice conversation a week from today. Want to welcome any new viewers to the show. Thank you for joining. I want to thank Drew Herndon, tonight's guest, for helping publicize this episode and bring in some new viewers to the show. Well, I welcome all of you, and I ask you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you haven't yet, I'd greatly appreciate that. Your comments and questions are in play tonight, so feel free to post them up in the comments on YouTube and or Facebook, and we will try to address each and every one of those. I also want to let you guys know tonight at uh, 10.30 Mountain Time, that's 12.30 a.m. tonight Eastern, 9.30 Pacific, I will be back for the After Hours episode. We will be talking about all that's going on in the world of Pokemon, and there is quite a bit. I have joining me Karn Rye of The Big Three. He's my kind of my Pokemon go-to guy, as well as Jeff Wolf, the president of Iconic Auctions, which is the auction house that sold the shadowless charizard and a psa 10 last night at auction for two hundred and twenty thousand us dollars so he'll be down he'll be on later on tonight to break that down and talk about that with us so that should be a great time all right tonight's guest tonight's guest he started in the hobby with his dad getting him packs when he was five years old he stashed away his collection from about the year 2000 until 2012 when he came back and when his son was born in 2015 he came back with a vengeance. He works with Vintage Breaks. He runs DH Sports Cards. And his content portfolio includes Let Me Get That Podograph podcast, YouTube's Hobby Hotline, and Roughing the Passer. He's a fan of the Florida Marlins, the Carolina Panthers, the Colorado Avalanche, and last night's Game 5 winner, the Miami Heat. Originally from Florida, currently hailing from North Carolina. Let's bring him out. Drew Herndon. Drew, welcome to episode 53, Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Doing good, man. Wow, that's uh, probably the coolest intro I've ever gotten, so I appreciate that. That's that's awesome. Glad to be here. Hey, man, my pleasure. That's what we strive to do here on Sports Cards Live. Make right you now. feel like as special as you should and uh, give you the, the, the rightful intro. So listen, I mean... You know, I want to start off with a, with some with an exciting topic. And sure. considering you're a Miami Heat fan, and last night the Heat, you know, they they pushed the Lakers back another game here. So, how, how are you feeling after that win last night, Drew? I'm loving it. Tyler Hero's loving it. It's a it's a beautiful day. Um, you know, I, I expected us to win that game. Um, the Lakers made me mad switching from those Kobe jerseys that they planned on wearing it only in game seven, switching those to uh, that game kind of a little insulting, I think, to the Heat because that they kind of were prepping those jerseys for when they won the title. And so a little insulting. Um, but I mean, this is a Heat team that they're ridiculous. I mean, even without Dragic, I mean, even without Bam. This is still a very deep team, but when you add in Bam, it really changes the whole complexion of the game, especially if they're going to have AD or LeBron 
isolate Jimmy Butler. Like this is a, you're going to have to drag Jimmy Butler off the court. He He's going to die before he loses his championship. Like he, he forget about it. He literally is going to have to be pulled off of that court before they lose. Um, I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I was impressed. I thought we were going to win the game, but I'm glad we did. Yeah, well, hey, congrats to you as a fan. I mean, very exciting. And I mean, I certainly want to get into what it means for the hobby and what it means sure. for the cards of, you know, guys like LeBron James and Tyler Hero specifically. LeBron had a 40-point game last night in a losing yeah. effort. You don't see that very often. Yeah. Tyler Hero had, I think it was, you know, just about 12 points or so last night, a far yeah. cry from his high of 37 in the playoffs, which, right. you know, after that 37-point game, the hobby went nuts for the guy's yeah. cards. And now he's yeah. back to what he usually does. What do you what causes a player like that, you know, a young player, a rookie to to all of a sudden come out with a 37 point game? Where does that come from? Does it come out of nowhere or, or what what no. what what in the game allowed for that to happen that night? Well, Heroes had that in him all along. Um Spolster at the beginning of the year, when this season started, Hero was a project. Him and Kendrick Nunn were a project. Kendrick Nunn a little less so. Nunn was actually more highly thought of because of what he'd done in the G League. Uh, Hero was really there for depth off the bench and to learn and be one of those guys that could give you a couple of good minutes. And during the year, that's mostly what he was. And then I don't know what happened during the bubble. I don't know what. I mean, a little bit before the break, he was starting to pick it up. But then after that bubble, I mean, the light turned on. Um, I mean, it turned on for the whole team, but it just turned on for him. And once he got the confidence to shoot, the kid, the kid, I, I say it all the time and people laugh. They, they think it's a joke. But if he lives up to his potential, the kid can revolutionize the position that he plays because he can play shooting guard or small forward. No, no problem whatsoever. He can guard both of them whatsoever. But if he has that confidence to shoot, there's things he can do that no one else in the league at that position can do. And so I, I think the sky's the limit for hero. Um, I think you're going to see hobby wise. Once the season's over, you're going to see a drop. Um, because he's not a Laker or somebody like that. Unless they win the championship, then you might not see a drop because there's such a quick turnaround. I mean, Prism Draft Picks is already coming out soon. But uh, so, I mean, they're already about to have the draft. But I mean, I think Hero can easily, he's going to be one of those rookies that if he doesn't get that hype leading up to next year, as soon as the ball drops and they start playing, he's going to have that hype because he is. The Heat are only going to get better. They're going to add another superstar. And now Hero is going to be one of those guys that slotted in at the two or the three. Like, he's set. So whoever comes to add, you're playing Jimmy Butler, Bam, Hero, and Blank, whoever that free agent is. So I, I love that team. I love where he's positioned. And I think the Heat are going to be right where they are right now next year, hopefully up three games or uh, up a couple of games instead of, you know, down one. So what are you expecting for game six? I think the Heat win. I think it goes seven. I think it goes seven, one hundred percent. I think, I think people underestimate how good Bam is and the mismatches he causes because, at least the way the Lakers are playing him, I'm surprised they're they're taking one player and they're choosing to ISO on him, which you have to because you're taking another player and ISOing on Butler and you're leaving all those other Heat players and saying shoot. Well, the Heat have seven players deep maybe eight, eh, seven and a half, they can give you 20 points a night on any given night. 
And so that's where, you know, they can become very dangerous. And as soon as they got Bam back, the way the Lakers are playing them, the mismatches are there. They just have to take advantage of it. Yeah, nice, nice balanced team. Meanwhile, when you look yeah. at the the scoring summary, you know, on LA, it's uh it's usually it's 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 uh uh LeBron and yeah. uh and his sidekick there whose name is just escaping me for a second. Anthony here. Davis. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm thinking Paul Anthony. Yeah. So you know, it it's I think the heat, the balanced team is is certainly yeah. an advantage. And uh, but you know, it's it's tough to keep LeBron down, that's for sure. Let's just go to a few comments here, and we have a good comment from Paul. But uh, welcome, welcome to you, Paul. Good evening. We have Rich What's Klein uh, in What's the up, audience. Rich? Rich, welcome. Enjoyed watching you this morning, sir. Terry, welcome to the show. Glad to have you uh, catching us live tonight. Great to have you. Awesome. Uh, and then Paul, Paul says he's cheering for the Heat more because I dislike LeBron. <laughs> All right. All there right. Hey, hey we'll you take know. it. We'll take it. Jump on the bandwagon for a week or two, man. Hey, join the club. Eat. Yeah, you, that's your right, Paul. No doubt about it. Paul says, fun fact, LeBron has five finals games with 40 points in a loss, and it's a record. Well, yeah, you know, you, you don't see it often, but uh, that that's that's certainly telling to some degree for sure. Uh, let's see. Rich says, uh, Qu- Drew has a young son. Based on your trenchant comments from this morning, what cards would he put away for his son at this point? That's a great question. Uh, Drew, what cards would you be putting away for your little guy? Um, well, I am putting them away. Um, I've got quite a nice collection a couple of them are out here um uh little things from rookies like kobe rookies um like flare metal kobe rookies uh i'm a big fan of ex so the old ex cards i get a lot of them graded like iverson um things like that uh my East Carolina and Carolina Panthers collection. I do a lot of memorabilia for those. Um, Patrick Law autograph sticks probably right up there at the top because uh, that's kind of like my holy grail sitting on the sitting on the wall. But um, oh, tons. Yeah, I'm and I'm keeping back. You know, I grade a ton, so I, I always throw back a couple. He's got a couple of Cunha Sotos, Brady's. You know, all those things thrown back too. So. You know, even if he decides he just wants to sell them one day, even though he's he's getting into Pokemon and want, he's got Pokemon cards at PSA right now, and uh, <laughs> he he's learning what patience means. And um, as soon as he does get them back, he's already wanting to flip them for more packs. So he he knows what his dad does. He definitely pays attention. That's for sure. Little little businessman. Good to hear. Yeah. Good to hear. Yeah, Paul. I like. Paul says the loquacious Rich Klein deals trenchant in his first yeah. question. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, App, we have a comment from App Freeze Cards. Welcome to the show, Let's App see. Freeze. Says, I'm skeptical to put too much emphasis on shooters during the bubble. Mm-hmm. They're shooting on the same court each day, not something sure. that happens normally. Depth perception, depth perception changes at each venue. Yeah, that, that no. makes a lot of sense. I, Hadn't thought about it. The one thing I will mention to that is that, you know, at least all, it, it, it's balanced. It's, it's all equal amongst all the teams. So I don't think you have any advantages or disadvantage, all else being equal. Right. But what are your thoughts on that, Drew? No, I completely agree with them. I think that's how the Heat were able to get on this rhythm. I think they found a place they were comfortable. I think the Heat, this type of a team, the, the way the Heat are coached, the way that I know that organization, I was a – I was a small for a small paper, but a beat writer down there for a couple of years before I came up and did work with the Panthers. And I I know how they run their organization. I know how Pat Riley runs it. That 
this team's built for that type of environment. If you can isolate that team and get them to where they can't do anything except for be with each other, that's what Pat Riley would dream of. I mean, that's his ideal scenario. And so I think that's why the Heat excelled, ran through the bubble undefeated, ran through the first round. And I think that's a big reason why they are here this year outside of, you know, getting a couple of good bounces going their way as well. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there, you should always put caution on certain shooters, but for Tyler Hero, I'm looking at him in comparison to other rookies and uh, looking at his price point compared to other rookies that have done nothing and other rookies that have put up or second or third year players that are garnering more attention. I, me personally, I know there's some bias being a heat fan, but Hero is someone that I see slotted in on a team on a starting rotation on a team that's about to land another major star that's already in the finals. It reminds me of right before Kevin Durant went to Golden State. And, you know, that that can be dangerous. And and, and any rookie that's starting with that group that is a shooter is going to benefit from being with those guys on the court. Yeah, fair enough. I remember it was back in around July, Drew, and uh, I caught on to Tyler Hero, and <laughs> I actually watched a few of his uh, kind of highlight videos and – read a little bit about him. And the one thing that stuck out to me that I that I read was that he's a very, very confident young man. Oh, and I like, I like that in an athlete, someone who's confident in themselves is, you know, they're, they're not going to settle for less. They're going to work hard. They're going to practice hard. So I, I went out and I, I consulted with a few of my basketball buddies to see, hey, do you think Tyler Hero is a guy to, uh, to you know, buy a few cards right. of, someone to invest in? And they both kind of said, I don't know, you know, maybe, but I don't know. So I, I didn't bother. I didn't take it any further. And then look what happens a couple months later. And I think I was on to something and, the, you know, my, my consultants weren't. So I'm going to start to maybe consult for myself a little bit more when it comes to, to basketball. No, uh, absolutely. But, and, you know, any... there, was, there was like a, a gold prism 10 out there that sold back then for, you know, yeah. It was still expensive. It was probably twenty five hundred bucks it sold for. But now, what would that go for? Ten grand, easy. So yeah. sometimes you just got to trust your gut and go with things. And again, you know, we're talking basketball, but I do want to work it into the hobby. A couple more comments here, then I want to talk about LeBron's values and what's going on with him based on this series. But uh, right. we got Dustin in the house. Dustin from the Personal Finance Dad guys, check out his uh, YouTube channel. Welcome to the show, Dustin. Good to see you again, my so friend. Good. 90s hockey collector in the house. Welcome What's to you. Hello to you, sir. Jeff McMahon, welcome to the show. Dominic LaRouche, how you doing? Rich Klein says, I put trenchant in just for you, Paul. There you go. <laughs> we got Jake in the house from 90s B-Ball Cards. Jake, nice. welcome. What's up, Jake? Check, out, check out Jake's channel, 90s yeah. B-Ball Cards. And we got Cardboard Nostalgia. Billy in the house. He says, LeBron said it was a bad pass. No idea why he passed up the easy foul. Doesn't seem like the GOAT should be making that pass with seconds to go that was the pass to to danny green that just didn't uh didn't hit yeah. and uh, yeah. he win the game so all right man well you know as far as lebron goes drew you know his card values they've obviously you know like everybody else during the epidemic the pandemic they've, they've gone up in value and the question that that comes to mind and i got a feeling about this but i'll ask your opinion do you think that LeBron potentially winning his fourth championship this year. Is it already baked into the prices that his cards are selling for? Or if he wins, are we going to see an, an instant overnight elevation in the value of his cards, you know, because of, because of winning a fourth championship? 
I think you're definitely going to see an elevation in his cards if they win. Um, I think you're going to see a large elevation in certain ones, um, mainly being his first couple years and uh, prisms, uh, stuff like that. I definitely think you're going to see an increase. I think you're going to see an increase in Anthony Davis, which is deserved. I think, which is well-deserved. I mean, he's been underrated for a long time because he was on such a bad team. Um, but I think Davis, you might see a little bit bigger bump percentage-wise, you know? Maybe he might not sell for as much, but compared to what he was selling for, he'll probably see the biggest bump. But I, I definitely think LeBron's going to see a bump. I know, I know I've got a couple of pretty high-end LeBron cards that are – on eBay with, you know, I, I don't really care to sell them. I'll sell them and I'll sell them. So there's a pretty high number on them. And, you know, I've been getting offers sent for the whole season because they're graded nice LeBrons. And I know the offers keep going up almost by the game. Uh, and so I definitely think him winning a championship in L.A., um, that's that's a bigger deal than people think. That market is enormous. That market is starving for something again. Him winning another championship is big in that market, especially, I think, for his rookies, key cards, and those especially with him in a Laker uni. Um, I think you're going to see a big bump on those cards. I'd like to, you know, I appreciate the opinion, and uh, and I think I think there's a there, there's some accuracy to that. I think that you are going to see a bit of a bump, but I I was of the opinion that. You know, because I think a lot of people assume that this fourth win is, is going to happen. This first chip, this fourth chip is yes. going to land in the pocket. And I think so because of that, I do think that people have already somewhat priced it sure. in. Yeah. But, but that said, when you know, you made a good point that, you know, his first in LA, which I'm aware of, but it's a good point. You know, Lakers fans, casual Lakers mm -hmm. fans, maybe non hobbyists, you know, if he wins that championship, they might then go looking to buy some cards of his, thinking, mm -hmm. oh, I've heard the sports card hobby is hot. LeBron's yeah. on our team. He just exactly. helped bring a championship home. I need to go buy one of his rookie cards. They may not mm -hmm. think to do that until after he wins. And maybe that will fuel an increase. But the season collectors out there, you know, the, our, yeah. the, our audiences, you and me, I mean, I think we've already baked it in. It's like it, sure. if he wins it, it's great, but it's not. It's not necessarily going to change how what his legacy will be. Although taking the championship to LA, I think will. What do you yeah. thought? What do you think of that? No, I, I agree with you. I think the season collector absolutely has baked it in uh, in their mind because I mean, even me, a diehard Heat fan. I mean, I, I still think we can come back and win, but. I'm expecting LeBron to get his, you know, championship. And if uh, if I was buying cards, I would be buying it like he had. Um, and if I'm and the way I'm pricing him, I'm pricing him like he has. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you there. But I do think when when people see that, whatever type of parade it is, whatever digital parade they're watching, or whatever they're watching from their apartment buildings, however they do this, uh, yeah. whatever the celebration is. Once you start seeing the celebration, you start seeing the merch, you start seeing, I mean, now they start turning on Instagram. I mean, I'm, it's not going to be long before quite a few rappers. I mean, you watch today's Hobby Hotline, a lot of rappers getting into this hobby right now before a lot of people start breaking and stuff like that. I mean, it, it, there, there, there's this whole other segment that's coming into this industry, you know, this 
I hate calling it cardboard now. I like like uh, Brian Gray and I were talking about it's art uh, into this art world that we're in now. There's so much, so many new people. I think you know. I think it's going to fuel a lot more than people think, and it's uh, it, it, there's a lot of new money coming in, and they're going to be the ones. Los Angeles, the Lakers, historic franchise, you know, and it's LeBron. So, you know, yeah. I, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of increase across the board, but I think LeBron in particular. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And you bring up another good point being it's in LA, you've got, you got all these uh, sort of celebrities and influencers coming into the hobby mm -hmm. recently. Uh, you know, I can, I certainly can see that being a, a potential for additional increases in values. I'd like to hear from the viewers. If anyone out there, yeah. like, what do you, what do you guys think is our, our, you know, is there still room for Le And I'm talking about LeBron James specifically because he is LeBron James, okay. you know, is, is there room for his cards to go up more? And like, how much more, like right. how, if, if the cards are going to go up, say, you know, the, the, the amount they're going to go up is say a hundred, whatever, a hundred units. And you know, how much has it already gone up? Cause people expect it. And how much can it still go up once he wins for the first time in LA is it, has it gone up 50% of what it can go up. And the other, the other piece of it drew, as, as you well know, is that the whole hobby is on an upswing and, you know, you, you yeah. see headlines now about the hobby cooling down. It, it's not cooling down. It's cooling down on some commodity cards of, of players who are still playing you know, but it's not necessarily cooling down that much. So, I mean, you know, is it, have, have, have the, the increases in LeBron cards that we've seen recently, is that simply because of what's going on in the overall hobby? It's happening to lots of cards, or is it because the hobby is baking in this fourth championship that he may or may not win in the next week or so? So I wonder, and we got some comments coming in. I thank everyone for that. So, Drew, before we move on, we'll just uh, take a look at some more of these comments. Sure. We got J-Rod. J-Rod, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Bobby Burrell's in the house. Bobby, welcome as always, my friend. Paul Cashman says, the GOAT, Michael Jordan, didn't make that pass. <laughs> LOL. Uh, Facebook user says, comparing Jordan and LeBron is really apples and oranges to different, yes. two different players, different styles, different paths to greatness. Totally agree with that. Yeah, I, you know. I, you you see the goat discussion all the time. You know you see these 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 very aggressive debates on on Facebook and elsewhere. And you know what? They're co goats. They're they're both they're both excellent players. They're both they both they're both legends and icons and uh, and cultural yeah. phenomenons. It's really yeah. quite amazing that they've both been able to achieve the status that they have. We have app freeze cards back. Emotion can definitely cause a temporary inflation, yes. right? Winning is a big deal. People love yes. when their teams win. Yes. Seb Menat says, and what if the Lakers lose? Will Re LeBron RCs go down? Good question, Drew. If the Heat win, what happens yeah. to LeBron rookie card values? Um, I won't care for about two weeks, but when I do finally look, no, <laughs> um, I think yeah, exactly. Um, I think they'll go back to probably like around where they were. I don't think they necessarily go down. If they do, if, if they plummet and start to drop that low because of that, I'm scooping up everyone I can. I'm selling off a bunch of cards that I never planned on selling and I'm buying a bunch of those because if they're going to drop that much, that's absurd. Cause like you just said, like you can you can call Michael Jordan the goat. I grew up watching him. I'm 36 years old, so I grew up 
with Jordan literally as my childhood. Um, like I, I absolutely consider him the goat, but if you're talking about this era and you can't understand how good LeBron is, then it's just absolutely blind hatred. He's a goat of his era. And you look at what Jordan cards are doing. Yes, they, they, they did their ups and downs too, but then they found that steady incline and LeBron's will do that as well. They'll do it definitely while he's playing, they'll bounce up and down. And so, yeah, they'll probably go down a little bit, but uh, if people are crazy enough to drop them that much, shoot, I'm, I'm selling everything. I'll get a bank loan to buy 10 of them. I mean, that's just, that's, that's the most absurd thing in the world to me because it's a guarantee in five to 10 years, they go back up when he's retired and not playing all the time. Once he plays with this kid once he wants to play with his kid for a year, which is what, two years away. And then he's done. And once that's done, you're going to see, and he's gone. And all we do is look back at videotapes. I mean, you can't look back at a LeBron highlight reel and not tell me he's that he's just dominated a generation. So, I mean, they, they'll probably go back down, but they'll be right back up. Yeah, I, I agree, man. If you're gonna if you're gonna sell his cards after if he doesn't yeah. win the championship, it's very short sighted. You're gonna Crazy. sell at the worst at the worst time. Yeah. But I, I I do also agree, Drew, that if he doesn't win this year, the values will come down a little bit because yeah. everybody who's who's kind of baked those values, they baked the win into the values. Well, now yeah. that win never happened. So right. you know, if his tops Chrome in a you know base in a PSA ten is worth. $13,000 right now. I can see it coming down to maybe 11, 11, five. And I know that card bounces around every day, but I can see it kind of, kind of cut the fed, you know, the, the average price coming down, maybe, yeah. you know, 10%, 15, 20 max. Yeah. But, you know, as soon as next season, you know, start wrapping <laughs> up for next season and he yeah. plays his first couple of games and he looks good again, you're going to see yeah. him right back to where they were would be my expectation. Of yeah. course, we can't predict exactly what will happen. And there are all sorts of other things that could happen, but I do expect uh, exactly what you're thinking as well. Great question, Seb. Thank you so yes. much. Yam says if LeBron wins two in LA, that's oh, where you should really move. I mean, that's huge. huge. That's five championships. All of a sudden that's uh, you know, good point. Yeah. appreciate it. And I think we both totally agree with you there. Terry says, I definitely think there's room for James to grow. I think this championship is already baked in, though, and we won't see a huge bump with the win here. Long term, I think they have plenty of upside. Yeah. Fair comments. Long term, I agree. Plenty of upside as he goes down uh, yeah. with, you know, he's already a legend, an icon, so it's hard to say when he yeah. goes down, you know, in his twilight years as a, as a legend and an icon when yeah. you're already there. But let's see what else he does. There's still years to play. S. Fleming says, risk Risk asymmetric. If he doesn't win, will go down more than what it will go up if he does win. Interesting, interesting thought. So if mm -hmm. he doesn't win, the decrease will be more than the increase if he does win. What do you what do you think of that opinion, Drew? Short term, yes. Um, and short term meaning like a couple of months. Um, the NBA season's a very fast turnaround this year. Uh, once the finals are over, there's about a couple of weeks and then we have the draft and then it goes right into training camp. I mean, there's games on Christmas. They want to kick the season off on Christmas. So, I mean, it, it, no later than Christmas is the season right back started. So for a couple months, absolutely. Um, yeah. but like, but like you said, uh, no matter what going into next year, starting to ramp up, I mean, they're going to start off huge. They're going to start off big. If, 
I guarantee you LeBron will make sure he has plenty of video showing him on a redemption if he loses, you know, you know, he'll he'll make it a movie, you know, in whatever and put it out through 80 different media channels. But I mean, he'll make sure you pay attention to him enough to where they'll go back up as soon as that season starts. But yeah, short term, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with this comment as well. And it goes into the it goes back to the whole thing that the prices are a little bit baked in. So if it doesn't yeah. happen, that that bake can easily uh, uh, fall. No, no yeah. problem. But again, there I think there's a baseline with how low this card can go, just because where yeah. the hobby in general is at, and all the new money. And LeBron's one of the one of the prime targets for those for these uh, these investors, if you will. Yeah. Terry says, "Remember, Mahomes went down after he won the Super Bowl. The market gets temporarily flooded." Yeah, good mm-hmm. point. We don't mm-hmm. know yet what we'll see in terms of cards flooding the market. But I wonder, Terry and Drew, I wonder if the market learned anything from the Pat Mahomes experience. Now I know it's a different sport. It's well, it, we're, we're almost a year later, but I wonder if, if we, if the hobby in general will have learned anything. Drew, what do you think we've well, learned anything in general? Well, I don't really, I mean the Mahomes stuff, I think that was because the rookie class coming in right after was incredibly talented. And so the football hadn't had the money that's coming into it this year yet the investing market, the prospecting market, all that new money had not come into football last year. And so, I mean, it had started to trickle in, but not how it is now at all. And so, I mean, to the point where I could buy prism blasters of last year up until six months ago on the shelves, you know, I mean, it was, the money was not in there. The chase was not in there, but people started following every single sport now. And so I don't, I, I don't think that, it's necessarily that it cooled as much as the money. I mean, it did cool, but it cooled because the money was going after other hot rookies. Well, this NBA draft class, not that the, this is going to be one of those classes where we're going to need the second, third and fourth year players and the vets to carry us. We're going to need some rookies from last year. Okiki coming back from injury. I think he wins rookie of the year. Um, he's one of the best buys in sports cards right now. Chumo key for the magic. Um, we've got a lot of players coming back from injury that are that were drafted this uh, last year that are going to be the ones to really watch because this draft is pretty weak outside of a couple of people. Um, but that draft class right after Mahomes was stacked, and so I think the money that was in the, the market at the time was just so spread out over that that there was no choice but. The, the Mahomes to cool a little bit. Now, if the same thing happened now, I don't think you'd see him cool. With the type of money that's in the market now, I don't think you'd see that happen again. Yeah, and I think people just believe that Mahomes is going to be a perennial uh, you know, contender, if not winner. Right. So I, I, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, hello to Troublemaker Cards. Welcome to the <laughs> show. Thank, thank you for joining. Uh, say hello to Steve Menzi. Good to be good to have you here, Steve. Steve is the uh, owner of the Toronto Sports Card Expo, and we'll be running the virtual expo, uh, partnering with uh, Mr. Edelstein from the Chicago Spectacular. So you'll all want to check out that virtual show November 21 and 22, I believe. It's a Saturday, Sunday. I will be set up as a vendor. It'll be a fun two full days of live streaming from from your booth and uh, showing cards and hopefully buying some cards too. So Welcome to the show, Steve and Legion, as always. Welcome. Good to see you back yet again. All right. Jake from 90s B-Ball Cards. 
He says, I think a lot of LBJ cards have a fourth ring baked into the price, but I agree with Drew that those entry-level cards of his could see an uptick due to new interest from casual people. Tops rookie card, early LA cards. I think we we both have already sort of agreed with that, yeah. Uh, Drew. Yeah, Jake, we're yeah. right there with you. J-Rod says, the older this current 18 to 25-year-old generation gets, the higher his cards will go. I'm 38. Jordan is my go. Yeah, like that's that that's exactly how this hobby works. We talked about that this morning on Hobby Hotline yes. when I was a call-in yes. gap, right? Yeah, yes. you nailed it, J-Rod. That's exactly. He goes on to say for these young uh Jordan is my goat. For these younger collectors, LeBron is their goat. His card exactly. prices will increase with their disposable income. Bang on, man. You nailed it right yep. there. Sean Rob, welcome to the show. Sean says the last game was the first game shown on television in China in almost a year. I think wow. the price of basketball cards are determined by the new demand from Asia to Europe. Yeah, Sean, I you know can't mm. can't disagree with that, man. That's a very astute comment. I think at this point in time, Drew, <coughs> you know, you talked earlier about the new money, the investors coming in, and when we talk about new money and investors, I think about people in the United States, maybe Canada, sure. maybe a bit of you know South America. I don't think to Europe and and Asia as much, and a lot of the reason I don't is because. I had Ken Golden on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was uh, uh, a couple a couple weeks, or actually, it was it was the the Wednesday before the Trout Super Factor sold. Sure. I had him on the show, okay. and I asked him, "Where is all this new money coming from?" Because he's he's got the biggest mailing list in the business, right? Yeah, and he yeah. said he said it's domestic for the most case. For, yeah. in, for the most, okay, it's domestic money. So, I mean, that's what's interesting. But if you look at what Sean is saying, that's just more fuel to this fire right it's just even you've got you've got that going on but you've also got these these collectors in asia who love their basketball love their collecting so you know i wonder if we have kind of you know we we've got gas coming in on into two tanks into this thing and it's we're just going to chug along here so that's what i think anyway does that make sense to you drew no absolutely i think you're right on and i mean uh the the market overseas is incredibly important to this card market. It has a lot to do with how it's exploded, but it's it's only a segment now. Now a lot of it, like we talked about today on Hobby Hotline, as Brian Gray said, hedge fund managers, um, people in the entertainment sector. There's a lot of other people that are really sinking a lot of money into this hobby um domestically but you know overseas i i can't tell you the amount of basketball cards and surprisingly now football cards that i sell overseas like i i know what i know with baseball i don't really turn like ship internationally on on ebay and stuff like that but if it's a basketball or a football card absolutely and the amount that i send to australia to hong kong to um to China, to England. I mean, you name it. It's every week and it's constantly. Um, they And they buy up a lot of high-end stuff and they buy up a lot of prism. They buy up a lot of second-year stuff. They buy up a lot of silvers regardless of the year. I mean, there's certain things that they really pump, seem to pump a lot of money into, but absolutely that money coming in is a massive reason. It was really the start of everything. And that's what brought in, I think, even more domestic money and brought in those hedge funds and, br- and brought it to where it was. When that money from the outside started coming in into more than just one sport, that's when the snowball really started to roll, I think. 
Yeah. Oh, fair, man. Fair. Man. Okay, let's keep going. Paul says, I could see LeBron commodity cards take a dip, but the premium ones would maintain. Yeah. And I think that's all. I, I, I agree with that in any situation where there's the 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 prospect of a, of a player's cards going down. The commodity cards are the ones that are always there. You have no problem yeah. finding them for sale. Yeah, they're the ones that are because supply is just so high on them all the time. So basic economics yeah. there. App Freeze says his top tricky card is very popular, but does the fact that he isn't in uniform turn anyone else off? I prefer the Bowman for this reason or the Chrome for those who can afford. Yeah, that, I, I'm right there with you, App. I mean, that's exactly, you know, you look at Tom Brady, for example. He's got like 35 rookie cards and only a handful are Patriots cards. I only want the Patriots cards in my collection. I think the same thing applies. Drew, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, even like from, a, from what you're seeing from your customers, but also personally. Uh, personally, I can't stand owning cards of players that aren't on my team, if, unless I'm collecting, like, obviously, like, I like Allen Iverson. So, I mean, I, I'll collect him and whatever he wants to wear because I don't cheer for any of the teams he was on. I just like him. But if it's my team, no, I, I don't want him. I, if it's we're if we're talking LeBron and I'm a Laker fan, let's say, sure, absolutely, yeah. I want it. I want his first prism in a Laker uniform. That's what you, that would be the card that I want. Would I want a rookie? Absolutely, because yeah. because of the value. Not would I want to display it as much as everything else? Probably not. So let me ask you this a bit. Let me just change the question a little bit. What do you think the hobby? Like, you know, App Freeze and myself, sure. we're saying we want rookie cards of players in their professional jersey, not their sure. college, not their junior, nothing like that. We want we want professional jersey for rookie cards. Sure. I mean, would you if, if you were a rookie card collector across more than just your yeah. own team, would you not? Would you want the players pictured Absolutely. in their professional jersey? Yeah, I think Absolutely. that's. I, I think it's somewhat universal, but I'm sure there are people out there that don't care. They just want that RC designation yeah. on, on the card that they own yeah. and one that they can afford. And maybe they can't afford sometimes to have yeah. it in the professional jersey. So they have to settle for something less. And there's nothing wrong with yeah. that at all. No. Terry says, I rarely ship anything overseas. Mm -hmm. I do buy a fair amount from Asia, especially Bowman baseball. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. And then Yamwax pops up with a hot take. He says, Charizard and Harry Potter may be bigger goats for Gen Z and awesome. young millennials. And what about, also, what about uh, Fortnite? Like, you know, Panini made Fortnite cards. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. right? Like, there's got to be, there's got to be something in there that's going to be worth mm -hmm. something sometime with all the people and influencers and celebrities that, and athletes that play a ton of Fortnite when they're on the road and in their hotel rooms. Yeah. You know, where, what are they going to be buying in 20 years? They're going to be buying... You know, sports cards, maybe. Are they going to be buying Fortnite cards? Yeah. Maybe they will. It's nostalgic. Yeah. Just for the same reason that, that you got 40, 30, 40, 50-year-olds buying Pokemon right now. Yeah. But, yeah, good comment. Yeah. No. I know Yam's big into the Pokemon and knows what he's talking about. So, appreciate yeah. the comment. And Cardboard Billy says, PSA 10 Charizard, yes. Charizard Hollow. Yeah, well, it actually sold for $220,000 mm -hmm. last night, that card. Uh, Iconic Auctions, uh, run by Jeff Wolf, who's in the audience and will be joining us on After Hours in a couple hours from now. His company sold the card. They broke the record last night. The card was sold to a rapper who goes by the name of Logic. You may have heard of him. And uh, he bought that card for $220,000. So, I mean... That is certainly certainly the goat of uh, of non sports yeah. cards. Like I, I don't yeah. think anything else comes close. And not to mention that last night, uh, Logan Paul, one of the you know biggest influencers out there, 
he broke an original right. booster box of the first edition on his YouTube channel. All, every pack. Now, he didn't break it for himself. He sold the packs off one by one to people in the audience for $11,111 after he bought it. And I don't think I don't know if he made money on this box or not. I no, think he, he did it, it for charity. Yeah. For and charity. he raised they raised a lot of money. They raised over $100,000 for charity last mm -hmm. night for mental health, which is a wonderful thing. Right. But they had, and I was watching this stream last yeah, night. If you can see this, anyone out there, they had no less than a quarter million people watching it, up to 300, just over 300,000. And I saw overall, he said, over a million unique views. Now, I don't care what sport you're breaking any era of pack from, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, golf, doesn't matter. You're not getting that kind of audience for any sport. You might not get that kind of audience if you took all those sports combined on a live break. So... Um, Pokemon is definitely a segment of the cardboard hobby that yeah. is for real. Canner Collects, welcome to the show. Says, I prefer Brady in his Michigan uniform. His upper deck pros and prospects is my favorite. Go blue. And you know what? I can understand that if you prefer it for one of two reasons. One, you just think the card is more beautiful, more eye appeal, more aesthetically yeah. pleasing. Or two, you followed him in college and right. that's your college team. But if you don't follow college football which you know most football fans pretty much do uh, but if you don't and you are a fan of the new england patriots or you collect hall of famer rookie cards or soon to be hall of famer rookie cards i can't see why you would want wouldn't want one in, in that, that has him pictured in a uh new a patriots jersey even if it's practice jersey which some of them are right but each to their own and completely respect any way that anybody approaches this hobby as long as you're not being a <laughs> a scammer or committing fraud i i condone any approach to this hobby mm -hmm. uh billy says steve aoki the dj just bought one last week for yep. one hundred and seventy thousand. yeah i mean that's how fast these things can go up in value and, and let's also remember that they're not all the same right not all psa 10s are the same some will be yeah. centered better than others some might have you know they're just not so the one that that uh jeff wolf's uh iconic auction sold last night might have been better than the one Steve Aoki bought in terms of condition. So yeah. very fair. And then Paul jumps in. I love when these guys, I love when the audience takes digs at me, Drew. You ever experienced <laughs> that? It's kind of fun. But Are I don't you mind kidding me all the, all the time, man. All the time, right? <laughs> all the time. Paul all says, time. waiting for Jeremy to announce his next iconic card purchase is a Charizard. Well, stay tuned for after hours, Paul. You just might, uh, your wish just might come true. We will see. We will see. All right. So that's 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 some good stuff there. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to another topic, Drew. Let's talk sure. about an, another hot one that's in the hobby right now. And it does tie into the guest that I had on on, on this show mm -hmm. uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Ezra Levine is the CEO from Collectible, the Collectible yeah. app, fractional ownership. Um, they're they're in the space. The other notable company is called Rally Road. They yeah. also do fractional ownership. Rally Road does fractional ownership into you know, uh, collector vehicles, jewelry, handbags, um, and of course, sports cards and memorabilia, whereas Collectible is sticking with sports cards and memorabilia, just to let everybody know. And there's a, you know, there's a lot, of, it's somewhat of a polarizing topic. A lot of people think to themselves, why would I buy a share in something that I'm never going to see, touch, or hold? But a lot of people are buying a share in something that they're never, right. never going to see, touch, or hold. Uh, where do you stand on the on just for yourself, Drew? Where do you stand on fractional ownership uh, the way it looks today? Well, I actually on let me get that photograph about 
two, three episodes ago, I had the CEO of uh, Rally on my show, and um, I talked to him for a while, and I tried the app out. I used Rally. Um, I put a little bit of money in, not a ton, but put a little in to try it out, put some stuff down on some Jerry Rice, a couple of Kobe's, um, actually went and looked uh, at a couple of books, a little bit of wine, stuff like that. It's interesting to me. I think the idea is really cool. Um, I just think that there needs to be a little better execution of it. Um, I think it would make it, at least the way Rally set up, I don't know how um, the uh, other one that you had just mentioned is set up. I'm unfamiliar with their app. I know the company, but um, as far as the interface and the app and how they run their auctions, I'm unfamiliar with it. But the thing that disappoints me, at least in terms of rally, is once you, once the initial offering closes, it's closed for quite some time, and so for quite some time, it's just locked up. You have no idea. There's no, it, you know, it's not like a fluid actual like market or anything along those lines. It's like it's closed, and then they promote an opening. It opens back up, and you can do it. And I guess this is really big in the art world, and. As I keep preaching, it's not cardboard anymore. What we're dealing with now, we are in the art industry. This is art. And, I mean, apparently this is huge in the art industry. And if it is, I mean, I think it could be something here to stay. I'll tell you, I like it a lot better than trying to use blockchain technology for actual trading cards. Yeah. If if we're going to do something along those lines, I'd much rather have this than blockchain with trading cards. Use blockchain to help track inventory, track patches, track, you know, scamming. Lots yeah, that of makes, that You makes know, sense. like if I get to pick, you know, how I'm going to use technology in the hobby, please, you know, put it over there. But I think there's a couple of holes and things that need to be worked on. But it's it's fun and it's it's quite interesting. Yeah. Well, good, man. I appreciate the thoughts. And I, I ask the, the viewers out there, please... Please uh, post up in the comments whether whether fractional ownership to the degree you understand it, you know, at this point, is it something that might be for you, might not be? And, and if you do, just give a reason why yes or no. And, you know, just so we have we have something to kind of analyze it by, um, you know, I, I had, again, the the other company besides Rally is called Collectible and Ezra Levine's the CEO and he was the one that was on my show on Wednesday. And uh, we talked for a couple hours on the topic. So I encourage anyone who wants to really gain an understanding of what Collectible is doing and how they're executing and what their plans are, go back and watch that episode. And I'll let everybody know if you're new to Sports Cards Live, all of all of my episodes are long. So, you know, don't feel like you got to watch all two hours at once. You know, watch them 15, 10 minutes here, 15 there, 20 minutes there. YouTube will always remember where you left off and you can you can kind of bite it off a little bit at a time. I encourage you to do it that way. But as far as fractional ownership, you know, a couple of things, Drew. So like you said, mm-hmm. you buy, you buy, they, they have an offering and mm-hmm. the offering's open for say, you know, a month or, or yeah. a week, whatever it is until the shares sell out the shares and they've all been selling out basically same day so yeah. far, as far as collectibles yeah. happen. So there's been no issue about selling out the shares. Yeah. So they, 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 they open it up to, they open up the shares. You can buy them on the app, and then once they're sold out, they're sold out. And then you have to hold those shares for 90 days before you can trade them. That's a securities law. That's all that is. Oh, okay. Once the night, and I believe that's securities law. I believe it is because I can't think of any other reason why you would lock those shares up for for 90 days or whatever it is. 
So you've got that lockup period. You ho- you can't do anything. The value of the asset can go up or down during that period. That's okay. just out of your hands. Yeah. Once that 90 days is up, you're now free to trade those shares on the secondary market, which is going to happen on their app. So what that implies is that there is a secondary market, that there is liquidity. That means that there are people willing to buy your shares for more or less than what you bought them for. Depends what you want to do. But in my mind, if I'm going to buy into, if I'm going to buy a fractional ownership shares into an asset like a 53 tops Mickey Mantle or a LeBron James uh, 2003 exquisite RPA and whatever it may be, (laughs) I'm not buying those personally. I wouldn't be buying those to flip those shares within the first six or 12 months. I would be buying them long-term. Now I wouldn't buy those shares to replace my collecting cards and physically having them in my hand. Because just like Todd says, and Todd, welcome to the show. Todd says, He's not sold yet on fractional ownership. He'd personally want to have possession of the card. I think everybody feels that way in this hobby. If you're a collector, you don't want to just look on a screen at or your phone at how many shares you have. You want to have that card. But here's here's where I challenge viewers. And again, I don't have any I don't have any skin in the game. So, but I still, for the sake of discussion, I challenge people in the hobby to say, well, I can still buy and sell cards. I can still buy and collect cards and hold them for my whole life if I want. But you can also take a couple hundred bucks if you have it and buy some shares of some of these cards that you're never going to see, touch, or hold, but you at least have a piece of them. And you know, a lot of people say that it's just about being able to brag and saying, I own a piece of that. And really, mm. there's nothing, nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. I think, mm. it, it, is it to brag or is it just kind of cool? I'd love yeah. to say I own a share of a Honus Wagner T206 oh, because really? I'll never buy the real thing. And to be honest, I don't want the real card. It's not a card that I covet for my personal collection, but would I own a share of it? I would. I would. Oh, yeah. And would I, yeah. And, and, and I wouldn't ever plan to sell it. I'd probably pass that share on or sell it, you know, at the, at the very end type of thing, but kind of, kind of my thought thoughts on it to me, it's not one or the other. You can do both. And I also think that it's going to help just the existence, Drew, and this is where I want to, I want to hear what you think of this. Mm-hmm. The existence of fractional ownership businesses, and I think you know, we're seeing more of them come on, and I think we're going to see more. It's it's providing liquidity for these high-value cards because all of a sudden you don't need yeah. 100 millionaires or billionaires to come around and buy cards for millions of dollars. No, the public can 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 you know, it, it's, it's crowdsourcing, really, they yes. can get together and buy them together. Therefore, you can sell more of these high value cards, which I think will turn into more liquidity in the high end market. That said, and it's also going to bring business to the auction companies, because the auction companies where a lot of these cards are bought in the first place. Yeah, but it also gives consigners a second option as to what to do with their assets, they want to give them yeah. to an auction company to sell, or they want to move them over to fractional ownership. What do you what do you think, Drew? Is this something that you can you can kind of do at the same time? And do you do you think that it's going to help? Do you think it's going to help increase the liquidity of these kind these high end cards? <laughs> well, absolutely. I think you're dead on there. I think that's one thing it's going to do big time. And you know, it, I actually do fractional ownership with a group of friends of mine. Um, there's three of us. We all live here in town. We're all collectors. We all run our own businesses and. We own, you know, one third of quite a few collections, cards, everything. You know, we split it together and, you know, we've made we've all made out quite well doing that on making certain investments and certain moves. Um, 
all and all the way up to you know doing stuff in rally which hopefully like you said i'm not looking i'm not getting into rally to say oh shoot that jerry rice i jumped in is gonna jump 720 percent and i'm gonna cash right out you know that's something to hold on to you know like rich was asking about stuff with jude and stuff you know some things to hold you know and just look at and keep down the line neat things like i've got shares in some Kobe's and stuff like that. But um, I I do think if this process is altered, like I said, I don't necessarily, I haven't thought about it in detail enough to know exactly what I would want to alter. I just know that something needs to be tweaked a little bit on there to where, I don't know, it feels like you have a little bit more control over everything than you have now. Um, But I, I definitely see... The thing I do see is this new money that's coming in this hobby that's coming from the stockbroker era, that outside, the hedge fund managers, those type of people. Oh, I could see them loving this stuff, loving this high-end stuff because they're the ones that are also using the PWCC vault where they don't see their cards. They're, yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're yeah. not seeing half of what they're buying anyway. And so that's the type of people that I could really see latching onto this. And if they do... Well, then it's going to be looked at as a success because you're going to keep seeing the record values. And I think it's going to help the other cards that aren't on there as well, because you're going to get higher comps. You're going to see higher, you know, you're going to have proof of people moving and what people are willing to go for. So, you know, yeah, I do think it could provide some more liquidity to the high-end cards, which, I mean, let's face it, that's awesome for the hobby. That's a good thing for sure. Yeah. I, I think you're, I think you're right, man. Like when you say you, you think it needs to change a bit. So I think, I think two things. One, I think uh, that in time it will evolve just like yeah. everything else does mm-hmm. as the people running it learn from what's learned from the, their experience and any maybe oversights, I don't want to say mistakes, but anything that they could have done differently, they will learn and they will tweak their business model as time goes by, you know, so it'll evolve that way. Um, Once the secondary market is established to trade these shares, I think that, and I think that's really what you want to see is you want to see the ability to take the shares that you have and at least go see what the offer is on them. And then you have Mm -hmm. the, you have the, you have, because that gives you more control. Now you can actually, there's a buyer waiting just like there is on the stock market for, any stock that's out there that that you know that that is worth it's 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 right. worth anything really it it's liquid you can always go you can just put in a sell order and they're sold instantly for you right and to me fractional ownership in cards is a lot like owning a share of a mm-hmm. of a company in the on, on the stock market you have no control over what's going on with that company and by owning it you know well you know people say i want to i want to hold the card i want to own it well you own a, a share of apple or google you can't go walk through their hallways. Yeah, you no. can't just walk in there and and say, "Hey, I own the place." No, it's just a number and a word on your on your screen when you log into your trading account. It's the yeah. same thing. It's the same thing, except that with sports cards, there's the nostalgia attachment mm-hmm. to it, even though you're not going to hold it, but you still know there's that coolness yeah. factor that I get right. Yeah. That I get to, yeah. The other thing, and you touched on this, Drew, very astutely, is that the casual collector is going to. Uh, or the new investor, the people that are hearing about sports cards in mainstream media right now are like, well, how do I get involved? And I don't know much. Oh, well, I can go buy shares in these things and I don't even need to worry about physical protection of them, <laughs> shipping them, insurance. I can just buy shares in this industry that is blowing up. So, I, I mean, 
I think I think it's I think it's here to stay. I think it's going to evolve yeah. over time. I think it's going to grow, just like grading, just like grading of cards was was people right. were about that at the beginning of time, and now it's the biggest thing going in our hobby. You know, besides the cards themselves, I think fractional ownership is here to stay. And like you said, Drew, you're doing it yourself. I've done myself. I put together mm. a very small fund. You know, just shy of mm -hmm. five digits between five mm. buddies a few years ago. We bought some cards and. Those friends are all happy because we've we've made money on those cards now. So exactly, yeah. And I'm sure I know for sure there's many people that have done more uh, informal funds similar to that. But I'm probably on a much bigger scale than what I did or what you're doing, right? So yeah, oh, I'm sure. So Paul says I'm musing that Rally Road and Collectible will have some interesting laws of unintended consequences applied once the markets open up for good and bad. And America's real pastime litigation. <laughs> that goes, uh, yeah, Paul. That that's definitely going to happen. They will yeah. learn as they go. They will, yeah. And, and there's going to be there's going to be legal action. There has to be. It's just it wouldn't be normal if there wasn't. So right. I agree with that. And Fleming in the house, welcome. Says I flip cards on ComC without ever seeing them. Not Maybe. fractional share. No, you own hundred percent of those. But similar in that I never touch the card. Difference is I can have it shipped if I choose. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a subtle. To me, it's 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 a subtle difference. Even though it's it's a it's a it's a big deal. You can have them shipped, but just the fact that I flip cards on Com C tells me you never intend to have them shipped unless you get out of the business altogether. So I mean, I, I hear you, but I don't know if that difference is. In, if I were you, I don't know if that difference is enough to keep me away from fractional ownership. But it's a whole different game. To me, fractional yeah. ownership doesn't necessarily have to be a short-term flip. To me, it would be a long-term hold, a long-term investment. Mm -hmm. Whereas flipping cards on Com C inherent in that is you're flipping as fast as you can. So it's a, I think it's a different um, approach altogether. But I hear what you're saying, and I certainly appreciate the comment. Jake says, "When do we see corporations add sports cards to their investment portfolio?" Seems like that might not be too far off. Well, the fact of the matter is, Jake, you're seeing it already. Yeah. You're seeing it already because a lot of private corporations that have money in the bank and they're, they need to deploy yeah. those funds are going to put them in, you know, they're, they're going to diversify. They're going to have equities. They're going to have commodities. They're going to have bonds. They're going to have maybe some metals. And I bet you a lot of people, especially sports fans, are also putting some money into uh, into collectibles. Oh, big time. The the last two, the last two uh, modern cards, the highest prices, the Giannis, and I can't remember which one it was before that, were both bought by the same person. It's a tech company. And it, they look, and from what I've been told and from what I'm looking, they're looking to change everything that they do and move towards building technology for the sports card industry. So make no mistake about it. There are a lot of very big corporations that have nothing to do with the hobby and they have nothing to do with sports right now that are adding sports cards to their portfolio, adding big cards to their portfolio, and that plan on getting into this market heavily. What, what you're going to see now that these businesses have opened up, now that everything's kind I mean, I'm not saying normal, but, you know, it's, it's moving and getting there. You're going to see a lot of companies that you've never heard of a lot of new faces and a lot of very big buyers, sellers, and you know industries coming into play. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think uh, so. The other card was the LeBron James that yes. was 
both cards were sold by Golden Auctions. The LeBron James 2003 yes. Exquisite Gold RPA out of 23 and the Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, Logo Man 101 were the mm-hmm. two cards sold 1.8 million, 1.9 million. Uh, purchased by, I think the, the gentleman who purchased them, his name is uh, Lior Avidar, I yes. believe. Yes. And I I know he's doing something with these cards. I see him showing them off on Instagram mm-hmm. and I yeah. love to see them. I'm not sure what he's doing, but he's got something up his sleeve with them. And yeah. it may be, it may end up being a type of fractional ownership uh, yeah. uh, business model yeah. as well. I'm not too sure, but I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. But, and- you know. I know he. I, I know he's in the tech side of everything, and I know that they've been looking to transition their company, um, going a different way. And so, seeing the way he's looking at sports cards and getting into it, I would not be surprised to see their company in some way, shape, or form take a shift towards sports cards quickly. Yeah, well, I think he's done that already, right? Yeah, I mean, he's, I he's in I for mean, four. He's yeah. in for almost four million in, in two cards, and yeah. he's he's got a lot of other cards he's shown off. So yes. he's. So he's he he in particular isn't new to the hobby, but I hear what you're saying. I think you're going to see a lot of casual collectors and new collectors are going to be. I've had buddies say to me, you know, recently, recently, be like, "Hey, what should I buy?" I say, "Well, you know, maybe this, this or that." Okay, get it for me. Well, you know, come on, just go here. I'll show you where to go. You go get. Right. You go buy the card. I'm not getting it for. You. I'm not chasing you for. I'm not chasing you for money. But you know, here's here's where you can go to get them, and you know. People are buying cards right. that haven't before, mm-hmm. so the hobby is growing in that in that fashion. I mean, we're we're seeing that one hundred percent. Paul says, imagine the possibility of a suspected or alleged trimmed card getting into the hands of rally, getting into a rally road or a collectible offering. Yeah, they need to do a ton of uh, due diligence on every card that they're adding, uh, and I'm sure they do. They they pretty much have to. So, but yeah, yeah. Smart, smart comment, Paul, for sure. I mean, you know, you just think back to the PSA 8 Honus Wagner, the Wayne Gretzky, Bruce McNall copy that was that they bought back in the early 90s that, you know, that is now owned by uh, uh, Kendrick from the Arizona Diamondbacks that he purchased for a three point or two point eight seven five, something like that. And now, you know, after Mastro came out and said, yeah, I trimmed that card. Yeah. That card is somewhat tainted yet. I think as Rich Klein mentioned this morning on Hobby Hotline, that card is still worth a lot of money, despite the fact that it's been, uh, you know, yeah. overtly known as being trimmed. So it is what it is. I mean, it's still yeah. a special card, um, yeah. but it's definitely got to have some taint on it now because yeah. of that. For oh, sure. yeah, absolutely. It's uh, It's got that scarlet letter on it. It'll, people will always remember that one. For sure, for sure. So, okay, I think we got fractional ownership covered. No more comments coming in on that. So thanks, everybody, for those comments. Good stuff, good stuff. So, Drew, take a few minutes now, just a a couple minutes. Just tell tell the audience a little bit about what what you do in the hobby in terms of your your content. Uh, How long have you been doing Let Me Get That Potograph? Uh, Talk a bit about Hobby Hotline and Roughing the Passer. Sure. Uh, Well, I've been doing, let me get that potograph for, oh shoot, a little over three years now. Wow. Um, Started it with a co-host of mine, Stu. Um, We did it for quite a while. Uh, Unfortunately, last year he uh, passed away from cancer. Um, But I started the show with him, just kept going solo after that. Um, From there, 
I, I've always I've been in content since college. I was a I was a broadcast journalism major as one of my two majors that I did. Um, so I've always been doing some type of content, whether but I did beat writing and actually went into journalism for a while. Um, but then started doing content. Did let me get that photograph for a little while and fell in love with it. And then as the hobby started to grow and I started to meet a lot of people because three years ago there was fat packs maybe one or two other shows and that's about it you know when, when we started i uh, and at least on just the podcast side of things and so from there met you know john newman sports card nation who was just on here i know um and uh you know me and him started roughing the passer which is just a strictly football show uh which we do every sunday night at 9 30 eastern and then at the national well, two years ago, Rob and I, Rob from GoGTS and I were joking around about the uh, the show Hobby Hotline. But then last year, we were kind of serious about it. And so at the National last year, a bunch of us met up um, and discussed Hobby Hotline and decided, you know, hey, we'll give it a go. And, um, you know, we it's a lot of people, so it's a lot of schedules to, <laughs> to coordinate with. But um, yeah. we ended up finding a really good group of people and we started that show as well. And we're on we just did episode 36 today uh, and it's a weekly show. So, you know, we're, we're solid into it. And uh, yeah, I've got a bunch of other shows coming up. Um, I have no plans on stopping. I love doing it. The content, obviously, as you know, is just growing and growing and growing. And so, um, I've got That's two. Perfect. I've got two video offshoots from. Let me get that photograph. It just it just keeps going. So it's, it's so much fun. It's a it lot is. of fun doing this, man. I agree. Good. Just tell us who some of the co-hosts are that you have on Hobby sure. Hotline. Because what? Let me just say, what's cool about Hobby Hotline is that. It's not just you hosting. You've got co-hosts. You've got a bunch of them, and you guys kind of come oh, in yeah. week to week. You weren't even on the last couple of weeks. Before you get into that, I just want to let anyone know, if you just kind of got to the show, thanks for joining, first of all. And keep in mind, when we're done, uh, when this episode's over, at uh, at, at uh, 9.30 p.m. tonight, Pacific time, which is 12.30 a.m. Eastern, we're going to do the app, the Sports Cards Live After Hours show. And joining me are going to be uh, Karn Rai, who's my go-to Pokemon expert, <laughs> and Jeff Wolf, the president of Iconic Auctions, which is the auction house that sold the PSA 10 Charizard last night to rapper Logic for $220,000. So Jeff, Jeff Wolf from Iconic Auctions will be joining us to break down you know, kind of what that what 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 that sale means to the hobby, and even what it mean what it means for iconic auctions, and yeah. how much excitement it was for them in their office last night with with yeah. that card among other items that they sold in their auction last night. So that'll be on after hours on the same channel at twelve thirty east Eastern, nine thirty Pacific tonight. So we're going for a while still tonight. But Drew, back yeah. to the hobby hotline. Mm -hmm. Who are who are the uh, who are your co-hosts on hobby hotline? Oh What's man, we have whole roster. Oh, it's, uh, we have an absolutely incredible roster. Um, we've got myself, uh, Val Mars, from, who does NASCAR radio. He's probably one of the most knowledgeable people on NASCAR um, and the NASCAR card market in the entire world. I think he's number one on every NASCAR PSA registry. Um, uh, he's one of our hosts. We've got John Newman, of course, from Sports Card Nation. He's a part of the show. Um, 
We've also got Mike Summer, who's still co- um, who still is a uh, guest co-host now. He was full time, but he just opened up a shop. So while he's getting settled in with his shop, he's doing part time. Then he'll be back full time again. He does uh, Wax Pack Hero. Um, then we have the great Rich Klein as a co-host. Um, we have Leaf the, CEO. The yes, yes. We have Leaf CEO Brian Gray as one of our. Um, co-host we have dr beckett himself as one of the co-hosts and then uh for the youth the younger generation we got brody the kid probably i mean how he's 13 years old it blows my mind he's smarter than some 35 year olds i know in this hobby it's baffling um and then a couple of new co-hosts that we had texas car dude uh brad bethune um and ziggy uh uh, just an absolutely incredible roster and of people. You also have an Eric Norton from Beckett. Yes, and Beckett yes, Represents exactly. Exactly. You as well. Yes. Yeah. I do. I got to say like, you know, it, it's, I love, <laughs> I love what you guys are doing on hobby hotline. Thanks. And I love the time slot. I love the time slot early morning for me. It's yeah. 9am on a Saturday. <laughs> and uh, I just like to wake up, have a coffee yeah. and, and listen to, listen to fresh hobby content. Like, come on, there, there's nothing like it. And the yeah. cast of characters that you have, and it mix it's mixed up each week, and mm-hmm. it's a call-in show. I yes. called in this morning, and you brought me on the screen, and there I was mm-hmm. on Hobby Hotline, you know, not hosting a show, which is nice. It's nice to be yeah. a guest, right? It's nice to be a guest on a show it too. Is. You get to relax, right? So I think I think it's awesome. I I I, I really hope you guys uh, don't slow down. Keep it going. It, it's it's a wonderful uh, show. I totally enjoy watching it, listening to it, and calling into it. And also yeah. having you guys on my show as guests to really yeah. dive into who you guys all are uh, individually. And I mean, I've had I've had John Newman, I've had Rich Klein, I've had Brian Gray, I've had Eric Norton, I've had you <laughs> now. Yeah. I've had five, I've had Dr. Beckett on this on this show. I've had almost the whole lineup. I saw now I gotta talk to uh to Brad, I got to talk to Mike. I got to talk to Brody and see if I can get everybody on who's ever yeah. been a host on. A, oh, and your NASCAR fellow as well. Although I don't even, I don't think I could, I could uh, keep a conversation going on that topic. <laughs> but no, no worries. Um, so no, that's, that's the, great, man. Yeah, you're you're definitely very active in the content world. You yeah. you do cards for a living with through your business. You work. Tell us a bit about what you do with with uh, vintage breaks. Sure. No, um, I actually, uh, I do quite a bit with them on, uh, they have a couple of different offshoots of vintage breaks. They have vintage breaks South and vintage breaks West. And then, uh, the main headquarters vintage breaks North. And so for vintage breaks South, I work with someone called, uh, with someone, Chris Gilmore, um, who used to own freedom cardboard, uh, way back in the day and now works, uh, over there at vintage breaks. And I pretty much, provide help uh provide comment i do some breaking for them but more provide commentary during the breaks and discussion um because the way they do it it's not really just when a break feels they go live they go live for like at pretty much almost 24 7 every single day and so for the seven eight hours that they're on i'll be there almost as a quote-unquote hype man slash expert discuss you know hobby discussionist stuff like that interact with the interact with the viewers, talk with them, you know, and go, we talk everything from, you know, the hobby sports, everything, you know? So, uh, that's what I do for vintage breaks. It's, it's, right. it's a lot of fun and it, uh, it really helped build a really fun community. Um, in, uh, cool. at least as opposed to just ripping open some packs real quick. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, uh, S. Fleming, if you're still there, thank you. Uh, good night. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Todd Corpora uh, says, good show, Drew and Jeremy. Thank you so mm. much. And Joe, welcome to the show, my man. Welcome to the show. Mm. Uh, Cardboard Nostalgia says, fractional shares of stock are very popular in Robinhood. The crypto mm. markets are fractional. Even a traditional ETF is fractional. Young people are more confident in the idea of fractional ownership. Well, mm. good good to know. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. I, I think I, I can't yeah. speak as much to what young people are comfortable or confident yeah. in right now, but I'll trust you, Billy. Uh, assuming yeah. you're younger than me and, and have your finger on that pulse better than I do. But I think young people are just used to digital more yeah. so than, you know, I'm in my late forties, you're in your late thirties, Drew. I mean, mm -hmm. I think, I think we're a little bit, you know, maybe me, me even maybe a bit more so, but I try and stay as current as I can and keep on top sure. of technology and even doing this kind of thing. Right. So, you know, I hear what you're saying, Billy. And I, yeah, sounds reasonable to me. So thank you for the for the comment. So let's switch uh, gears here. Let's sure. talk a little bit about grading now, Drew, because right. I mean, grading, we said earlier, it's a obviously it's a humongous part of this hobby. And over the, you know, with the pandemic, we saw both Beckett and PSA get backlogged in a major way. They're both out there hiring. I mean, we're all getting emails saying these guys are hiring. Uh, it's up to you if you want to give up buying and selling cards to go grade yeah. them, which I think is a big challenge. I, I think finding graders is, graders is very difficult. As I learned on Hobby Hotline this morning, mm -hmm. uh, the vintage grader from BGS just went to the new CGC grading company, the, the comic yes. book grading company. So mm -hmm. that's a bit of a hit for Beckett to take. They now mm -hmm. got to replace somebody on top of looking for more staff, along with PSA looking for more graders. They need to find... Um, they need to now find a, a leading vintage yeah. uh, card grader. That's not easy to do. So, I mean, they bought all these backlogs. They're out, they're in this big hiring frenzy. They're trying to work through the backlogs. Mm -hmm. And my my the question for I'm going to pose to you, Drew, is: Do you think that you know all these cards are backlogged? And I've heard the term uh, the 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 junk slab era. And what I'm wondering is once Beckett and PSA make their way through these backlogs, yeah, is it gonna be even is there gonna be even more supply in the market? Because there's a lot of cards sitting there waiting to hit the market once they're graded, slabbed, shipped to the owners who then can then list them on eBay and other auction houses. What do you what what's gonna happen at that point, Drew? I don't think we're in a junk slab era. Do I think people slab some stuff unnecessarily? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think some stuff doesn't need to be slabbed and there's probably going to be some junk slabs, just like there's junk singles, junk products, you know, everything. But I, I don't necessarily think so. I think now more than ever, I mean, PSA is not dropping their price. We talked about it today on Hobby Hotline. That, that price isn't going down. It's only going to keep going oh, up. Wow. And so the that's uh, you've already seen from this last increase, which was very little, a very, very small increase. For the first time in six months, I'm flooded with gradable cards that I can buy to grade because that's something that I do. I, before, for the last six months, you couldn't find anything because everyone was sending everything. So it's already caused a lot of people to stop. When they keep raising that price, whenever like myself and Brian were talking today, uh, it would be nice if they would just pick the number they want 
just go on and make the jump and put the number out there and leave it, you know, no matter how high it is, whatever it is, cut down on some of that. But uh, there'll probably be some cards that, you know, the pop reports are pretty high on. But I mean, I look at cards, I'm looking at, I look at the pop reports on some cards and they're still so small compared to how many cards are out there compared to how big the production run is, you know? Um, now, like you said, there's a lot that still needs to be graded after they catch up with all of that. I'd like to see out of those, you know, we hear million card backlog. Well, if that's vintage and modern, that's a million cards over a hundred and some years, you know, that it, it might not really be all that bad. So I don't, I don't know if we're in a junk slab era, but um, all I see is the value of slabs rising, honestly. I think the value of 10s and 9s especially. 9s probably even more than 10s. I think you're going to see 9s get a lot more love and attention because people are going to realize that not every card that's coming out of a pack is near gem, and, you know, they're going to go. And yeah, I'm with you, man. I saw, I yeah. forget who's, which, which uh, content provider it was, content creator it was, mm -hmm. but there, the headline on the video was with the prices going up for PSA grading, will the values of the of PSA graded cards come down? And to me, that was just ass backwards. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's going to force them up because yes. <laughs> it just makes that's just logical. So I got, I maybe need to go back and watch that video to maybe understand the angle that, that, into, that, that particular person was, was coming, was, was taking. But to me, I think that graded cards are going to go up in value more because it costs more to grade a card. So exactly. you know, you're not going to be able to, and, and as the, as time goes by, we're going to see fewer lower value cards being graded, right? Yes. Fewer cards that maybe, you know, in that $50 dollars and less, uh, range being graded and a lot of I like some of those cards graded in my collection because I like the looks of them slabbed and I want them in there and you know uniformity with the rest of my set yeah. or whatever but um yeah I, I think we're gonna see the the pricing of graded cards go up especially you know especially on that lower end that the you know the the whatever I'll say the zero to two three hundred dollar range cards because instead right. of it being 10 to 15 to 20 bucks to grade now it's gonna be 50 dollars plus to yeah. grade. so so I, I think so too. And then as far as the the supply on the market, you know, I think we're going to see a, a bigger, uh, you know, I think we're going to see two things happen. First, we're going to see once the Beckett and PSA catches up on their backlog, you're going to see a wave of cards hit the market, maybe all at once. And that might seem like it's like there's an oversupply, but that's going to quickly reverse because of the price increases, especially if these price increases are permanent and if you just think about anything in life, it's a lot, you know, who who lowers their prices if they don't need to? And also you think about in, the income tax. Income tax came about to fund the war. The war exactly. ended and they never took it away. So why would PSA mm. or Beckett lower their mm. price? I'm not saying they mm. won't, but it's going to be a lot easier just to leave it as is. Mm. And I'm, well, I'm so, saying they won't. They yeah. won't. Yeah, it, it's, you know, hopefully I, I had Jeremy Murray, the VP of grading for Beckett on the show, and he said mm -hmm. their intention is to lower them when they can. So we'll now, see if that comes to, to fruition or not. Now, they may, I was about to say, they may 
create new affordable options and they may put different things into play, but I don't see them lowering the premium, get them back in 10, 20 days. I don't see those dropping. Now, maybe there are other ones, economy stuff. Sure. Absolutely. But they're, they're getting back pretty quick type stuff. No, I, I don't see them lowering that because if they do, the backlog is just going to come right back. And yeah. and then it's going to be risen again. I mean, from a, from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense to me, at least from them. But hey, I mean, I I don't run Beckett for a reason. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to I want to jump through a few more comments, and sure. I want to ask you your opinion on two other things in terms of grading. So first, App Free says very much enjoyed my live experience, my first live experience of the show. I'll catch the rest in the archive. Thanks for what you do, guys. Keep the content coming. Thank you, App Freeze. Hopefully, you're seeing this then in reruns later. And uh, appreciated having you tonight. Paul says, "Friends don't let friends slab." Pro set. Yep, that's there's truth to that. Also says, "I do like the term junk slab era." I like the term too. I hope we don't yeah. have it, but I but I, I do think it's a neat sounding term. Yeah. Billy says, "How many cards do you have backlogged at PSA BGS at the moment, Drew? Do you have a bunch there right now?" Oh yeah, tons. Yeah. Um, probably not that many actually, because I normally do the quick turnarounds if I can. Um, none at BGS right now. Just got some of them back uh, this week. Um, n- still have some at SGC, some vintage stuff. Uh, but PSA I probably have about like 150 or so. But they're all they're all due here in the next couple of weeks. And I mean, the 20 day is really only taking about 35 to 40, which is you know, it's double, it's ridiculous, but it sounds, it sounds asinine, but that's actually quicker than usual. So I'll take it, you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, you're, you really have to judge right now if you want to grade, because I mean, if you want to grade and get your card back, at least for next season, you're looking at at 50 bucks a card and you know, that, that changes what you're going to send in. And especially me, who was someone that was, like like the, last year, I was sending in tons of Zion hoops rookies, buying them for two dollars, slabbing them, selling them for a hundred. I mean, it, it was like clockwork, and you know, not doing that anymore, not sending those hoops two dollar rookies in. So, yeah. you know, it changes quite a bit, but about one twenty five, something like that. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Seb says buy collector universe stock. So this is interesting because yeah. you know, one thing they're going to get more money for their service. But, a, but, but, and this isn't kind of a, 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 a you know, in, in, in contrast to that, but I was thinking about, you know, I have a lot of cards that I've, I've got 300 cards right now that I'm waiting to send to PSA and or BGS, but with the price increases, I, I'm now priced out. The cards just aren't worth it to get into those right. slabs. So now I'm thinking maybe one touches or what I'll do. It's different, but now I need to go and buy 300 one touches, which is, you know, right ultra pro or bcw instead of giving that money or more money but you know that same money to psa or bgs so i wonder if we're going to see any now i I mentioned someone the other day uh it was mike over at eastridge one of the local car shops here Mm -hmm. and and he said yeah but did you know that ultra pro makes psa slabs for them and i think beckett is beckett's going getting into the the um the uh, the supplies business with their own, with the Beckett Shield and doing their own their own supply yeah. manufacturing apparently or maybe they're outsourcing it but their yeah, own branded manufacturing their own branded accessory yeah. or uh, uh, supplies now so but but I mean just, I was just thinking about it. I'm like well maybe Ultra Pro is the way to go because all these people who want who are slabbing their cards that were worth you know between five bucks and a hundred dollars 
aren't going to do that anymore. So what, what right. are you going to do? You're going to buy Ultra Pro products or BCW products. So maybe there's an investment potential there as well. Yeah. But yeah, but but as far as buying Collector Universe stock, I've never bought or sold that that company's shares, and I have nothing against yeah. it. But um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it's a good time to to do that. Maybe it is or isn't. Yeah. Well, I, I will tell. But I wanted to ask you, Drew. Um, sure. You know, I've been talking about PSA and BGS. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on SGC? And I mean, they've been making a run at the market over over during 2020, and they tried to capitalize when PSA and BGS went into backlog uh, during the the shutdown during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how how do you think? SGC has responded yeah, okay. to the, well, a couple yeah, of them got, right got, there for you. you got some cards there, but but Drew, yeah. how do you think them as a company have responded to the opportunity that arose for them, and how do you see them uh, really? What do you see their their prospect being on mm. on taking a bigger piece of the pie than they already have? Okay, well, I thought that they did a wonderful job of bombarding. Now, first, I. Uh, it is interesting to note that prior to the pandemic, they actually had their three biggest months in a row ever consecutively, December, January, and February. So an increase every month. So they were building up to this. I think the pandemic hitting actually just ended up taking that growth that they were getting and accelerating it a thousandfold. Um, now these guys grew up very close to me. I know them very well. Um, I know their families very well. Our families know each other. Um, they were doing this out of basically a, a, an apartment when this, all of this started, like, that's what it was. Like they would have friends come over and help them in the garage and everything. And then through this pandemic, when their orders go up 500, 600,000%, they're trying to move into a building they can't, you know, it takes forever. So they get backed up and that backup really is one thing that hurt them the most because the advantage to SGC, because they, they, in the market right now, they sell for less. Now, some cards that that's only for some, uh, for modern cards, they sell for less ultra modern. So the advantage was getting them graded quick, the quick turnaround you could, if you're flipping cards and moving cards for a living, then you can sell 10 of them before you can get one back from PSA. And so, you know, you, you make up for it. But when you're waiting just as long as PSA, it, it, for ultra modern, it defeats the purpose of sending. And so, you know, they're doing a very good job of catching up. They're very upfront. They're very, they're very good at talking to you. Their customer service is top notch. I won't say a bad thing in the world about Peter. I think he's great. They're very honest. I I think uh, they're a good company. And I think they have the potential to really be a major player. They've hired some incredible graders. They've hired graders that have worked at all of the major grading companies that everyone loves so much that we've been talking about. A lot of their graders have past history working there and working high up there, um, including their ultra modern graders. Um, but I, I think they've got a little ways to go, especially with CCG coming in and all of that. Um, I, I think they're somebody that I'm really interested to see how they come because the comic book crossover has been so big. I want to see how how that company does. But SGC's definitely got something. And for vintage, I mean, you see it even going back to 90s and 80s cards. They're 
if it's in an SGC slab and it's a nine or a 10, it's commanding massive money, possibly more than that PSA nine or 10 did. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that SGC has been around longer than Beckett has in terms of grading. They were, they were original with PSA. And back in the day, I remember being like the late two thousands, like just, you know, 2008, seven, eight, nine, 10 going to the national. And you'd see as many SGC cards as you would PSA. They were more mostly, you know, like 1950 and earlier, mostly right. the, the real pre-war stuff. But right. there were thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of SGC stocks right. in the room. And then they seem to kind of uh, go away, not go away, but mm-hmm. just um, fade away a little bit. And now they're making another run. So, yeah. you know, I, I wish them nothing but success. And yeah. I know a lot of people are turning to them. A lot of people like that. I like the people call the slab uh, a tuxedo because I love it. It looks yeah. like you're dressing up your card in a tuxedo. I think that's a really cool language to use for it. And it, that's actually something that could be a competitive advantage for them. Just the fact yeah. that, that the hobby has already taken, you know, as, as uh, assigned that word to their slab. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's awesome. I love and, it. I w- and the other one I was going to ask you about was, uh, I think it's called CGC or CGGC, whatever, yeah. comic book one, whatever they're called, whatever their acronym will be. I mean, my thoughts, Drew, are that, is that I think it's like you were saying they have, they have an advantage because they already have a grading business, a collectibles grading business, and they got money behind them, uh, is what I understand. So, and they're all, and they've already, you know, they've hired away apparently a, a key yeah. grader from Beckett. Yeah. So that that's a that's an advantage they have now. Um, I wonder, you know, their slabs need to look good on cards, not just they have to. It doesn't matter if they look good on comics; they have to look good on yeah. cards now. Cards, yeah. And um, I've seen a couple, I think, samples, and they. They're a little chunkier at the top, is what I notice. A little more room for the for mm-hmm. the for the slip for the, uh, the the label at the top or the flip, as we call it. But um, what what do you think in terms of the looks of their slabs? Have you seen it yet? Well, I unless they themselves have released an example of what the cards will look like since they were on my show. Um, no, when I was on the show, they said that they were going through multiple different iterations and they have like five or six different variations that they may use. Um, if they put out a picture yet, I have not seen it. I'm, I'm familiar with what their comics and stuff like that look like, but I'm, I, I think you're dead on. Uh, it's, it's going to determine what the slab looks like. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, it's going to, I mean, this is going to be a company that's going to be advertising. If you thought SGC was advertising, get ready. I mean, these guys have got the pockets advertised. They've got a major following and major respect, which is the very, I think the most important thing is they're highly respected in another collectible industry, which is is very important. I mean, PSA with coins, that's really what gives them the validity in, in cards. That's what gave them the validity when they jumped into cards. And so that's why I look at them and say, okay, well, you've got the money, you've got the validity if you can make the slabs look nice then you know that's something that could be a dangerous company at least if i'm psa or bgs yeah no for sure yam says it very well here he says uh cgc doesn't limp into markets they're serious and yeah that that, when they they have a huge advantage by the fact just by the fact that they're not a new company coming into the business we've seen lots of new companies come in and they get they get you know a fraction of the market share a fraction of a percent of the market share you know negligible 
<laughs> yeah. So CGC is going to be a force to be reckoned with, I believe, as long as that slab is nice. Because at the yes. end of the day, that's as important as the looks of your card because you're you're permanently putting into this slab. So very important. I want to thank Steve Menzi for confirming yeah. CGC. And uh, by the sounds of it, I, I have to think if Steve Menzi, again, Steve is the gentleman who owns the the uh, the Sports Card Expo that's out of Toronto twice a year, but has now gone virtual. Yes. He's partnered up with the Chicago Spectacular. I believe that gentleman's name is Mitch Edelstein. And um, and by the sounds of it, perhaps CGC is going to take be taking a booth at the Virtual Expo, which is November 21st and 22nd. Uh, so everybody watch for that. I was a part of the first one. It was an absolute blast. I had a great time. It was one of my best shows ever. And uh, this should be a lot of fun coming up uh, in the third weekend of November. I want to bring Colin Murray's question. Hello, Colin. He says the price of high-end raw commons should go up because they won't get sent in. It's interesting, right? All of a sudden, yeah, yeah. there's no, yeah, that that's a good point. And you would know, Colin, you do a lot of, you, you did a lot of that raw stuff. And I know Colin's transitioned to more graded stuff, but mm -hmm. good point. Thank you for bringing it up. And then I want to get to Canner Collects comment up here. With issues in grading companies, do you see any collectors moving towards raw? I don't need a card in a slab unless it's a vintage for authentication. Well, good question, Canner. And I mean, you know, I'm kind of a hybrid. For me, certain cards are still going to get graded. And certain cards just won't because I'm priced out of them. Um, so I think you are going to see more people sticking with raw or buying, you know, going to one touches, as I said earlier. Um, you know, it's about all. It's, I think we kind of covered that topic somewhat anyway, maybe since you posted uh, Canner. But um, those are my thoughts on that. Drew, anything to add? No, I think you're dead on. I mean, it's uh, yeah, you're dead on. Okay, cool. Uh, Jake says, I'm looking forward to some automation to grading, especially to push through bulk or economy, even if it's just for the centering. I think some automation in, mo in moderation can help. So PSA or was it PSA or somebody recently announced that they were moving to, I think it's PSA, that they were moving to some automation. I don't believe it's got anything to do with the practice of grading the card. The, the mm -hmm. great grading cards by computer is never going to happen. I don't care what anybody no. says. It's no. never, ever going to happen. Uh, you know, you can argue, you can post whatever you want. I, I just, I'm pretty certain it's never going to happen. And, uh, you know, unless the, one, one of the things that would have to be overcome is the card companies would have to make sure that every card that came out of the pack came out of the pack 100% flat. So prism cards would not be able to exist. They wouldn't be eligible for it ever. Prism, Chrome, nothing that gets any warp or bend to it, which basically means any card that has more than one material in it. So unless you're talking paper, it's imp it's impossible. It's never going to happen. But what can happen is automation through in terms of organizing the back end, organizing the shipping. That that can easily happen. Just like you know, that's how Amazon does their. Amazon is all it's all robotics and automation in terms of filling orders. So if if, if PSA can bring that kind of uh, technology into their back end, I can definitely see them processing things faster. But grading. It's it's that's not what they're getting at, I don't believe, and I don't think it'll ever get there. But hey, that's a great discussion, and uh, I know there's lots of opinions on it. Anything for, to add to that, Drew? No, I think you're dead on. The automation's going to come in the production side. We talked on that about um, Hobby Hotline a little bit today. It's definitely going to come on the processing side. Um, and I mean, uh, I mean, there's there's hospital machines that you can reprogram if you wanted to computerize trying grade cards, but the accuracy is just not good enough. Like you said, on certain cards, it's just not possible. I've heard certain companies talk about possibly having some automation in terms of surface. 
uh, grading and grading parts of a card, but it's never going to be throw a card in a machine and it's going to pop out and tell you if it's a 10. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Frankie, welcome, says Pokemon CGC cards are doing really well in nice. and That does not surprise me because it's more of that, uh, the comic yeah. world, you yeah. know, the gaming yeah. and comics world. So it makes sense. Billy agrees on automation. Karn discussed in a previous episode of Sports Cards Live. So that's true. I'll mention right now, it was episode uh, mm -hmm. five or six I had. So going back to late April, early May. And I had on uh, the gentleman who's joining me on After Hours tonight to talk about Pokemon. But he commissioned a study uh, at, at, a, at a, a, a very well, a very reputable university uh, among honor students to look into whether grading by, by computer could, could occur. Yeah. And they concluded that pretty much that it couldn't. I'm not going to get into the details, and I don't rem remember them all, but mm -hmm. that was one of the things. But, but Billy goes on to say, why couldn't a perfect copy of a Luca Prism be used as an example for an automated program to grade the thousands mm -hmm. of submissions of that card? And the, I think the, the, one of the main reasons is because the cards aren't always flat was, is, yeah. is, a, is a major issue. So I don't, unless you want some, unless you want a machine that could have a piece of dust in it or something in it to actually have contact with the, the all what with 100% of the surfaces, both sides of your card. I mean, I don't, but that's one yeah. way to maybe get around that. And another thing is you need to look at a card from all angles. So you need to hold the card and move it around all angles. And I mean, maybe you could put it in, you know, put a couple of uh, clothes pins on it and then rotate it around in a circle and have the cameras look at it from all angles. Uh, I don't see it, but from my understanding and uh, my thoughts personally are that it's just not gonna work, but yeah. let's, let's keep on going. Uh, yep, agreed. Love that idea from Karn. Yeah, yeah. so. Karn's study did come up negative. The, the, these PhD students at a very reputable university, uh, their, their, their conclusion was that it's just not possible to grade cards by computer at this time. Uh, Paul says, I think the power of graded is eBay and online sales. It's somewhat reassuring knowing a grade versus trying to discern fuzzy Sasquatch sighting photos on an eBay listing. And, you know, that comes back to why grading you know, was born in the first place. It was born in the first place because the internet came about. No internet, no grading. Internet came about, the global economy became a thing, you know, the ability to buy something uh, in, in Los Angeles from somebody in Tokyo in an instant became possible almost overnight. And so what happened was people were buying sports cards on eBay sight unseen. And yeah grading gave some comfort to what you were getting at the time and that's the yeah. only real really the only reason why grading came into existence i'm not saying it's the only purpose it serves but that yeah. was the impetus for it to become um you know for the industry for the grading industry to to pop up out of nowhere yeah. because of buying cards sight unseen and that's never going to stop now we're not ever going to stop buying cards sight unseen it's only growing it's only happening more and more look there hasn't been a there, there there's been very few card shows in 2020 more people have been turning to virtual, whether it's, you know, eBay, uh, ComC, uh, virtual card shows and other, yeah. you know, Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. all that auction houses. So yeah. that's just only going to continue. And um, and so we, we need grading. You need as a buyer, as a, as a consumer, you need grading because yes. it gives you some comfort, you know, just like if you're buying a car you know, from, from 500 miles away and you're going to send your brother who lives there to go look at it for you. You know, mm -hmm. that's your brother is grading that car for you because you're not there to see it. 
you're buying it sight unseen. So that's uh, yeah. that's enough about that, I believe. Uh, would there be a market for low-end cards being encapsulated but not graded? If you can encapsulate for bulk, similar pricing to, to magnetics, it might be an attractive option for protection purposes. Yeah, and they'd, I'd want them to authenticate it too. Maybe not grade it, but authenticate yeah. it. Yeah, Billy, I, th I think there's not there. There's something there, perhaps, perhaps if the price is right to yeah. get it that way. You know, veteran, veteran uh, collectors who've been collecting for all that have a, a you know a large amount of graded cards in their collection could at least keep that uniformity, keep the yeah. cards stacking nicely, right? Yeah. Which I think is is important. It's important to me. I know as a collector. Yeah. And then Jake jumps in and says, remember the days of buying cards on eBay without any pictures? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes think about that and wonder how we did it. Yeah. And that's the hobby. The hobby overall was a lot different back then, Jake. But yeah, <laughs> the good old days, right? The good old days. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, man. Um, maybe we should move into uh, the, the Sports Cards Live 5. Sure. Are you ready for that? Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, let's get into it. So the first question in Sports Cards Live 5 for you, Drew, is what is your favorite card in your personal collection? Favorite card in my personal collection would probably be... I actually have it right here. Um, the very first rainbow that I ever built as a kid that I kept, it's an old upper deck black diamond Patrick Wall rainbow, just a nice old three card rainbow, you know, nothing special, nothing super expensive, but uh, super sentimental and Patrick Wall, one of my favorite players on my favorite team. So that that's probably my favorite. I've kept, I when I found my cards, I was like, mom, I don't care if you don't find any other ones, just find those three. I remembered them that whole time off. So got to go with those oh, right now. Oh, Matt, I love it. I love it. I lo and I love that they're not super high value cards, but they're, you know, that gold is out of 10. That's a rare card. So yeah, very nice. Paul says nice rainbow. Question two for you, Drew, is uh, what is your highest priority want card that is a, that's attainable? What's the next thing you're actually going to buy for yourself? Um, well, I'm actually chasing uh, at a mosaic football, the Luke Keekley parallels. So any of the Luke Keekley mosaic parallels that I don't have, uh, okay. chasing after that rainbow. Good answer. Good answer. Question three is where is your favorite place to buy cards? Uh, score more sports cards up in Winston-Salem. That actually, uh, if it sounds familiar, it's actually the person who won the Panini NBA player of the day just uh, just was picked from that, that store location. But score more sports in Winston. Awesome shop. Good people. Very cool. I love hearing that. I love hearing an LCS for that answer. Fourth question, Drew, is if you could change one thing about the hobby, what would it be? Oh, um... Oh, I forgot to send you these questions today, didn't I? I say, yeah, the net, yeah, you're good though. I like it better on the on the fly. I don't I don't oh, need I forgot, them. Forgot, man. I'm sorry. I don't need them ahead of time. Um, the thing I would change about the hobby, the, the negativity, yeah. just the the constant negativity through social media and everything. I mean, it people if pe so many people get so angry and so upset and blame so many wrong people for things and just don't they just don't think about it like just chill out have some fun relax like i mean i have there's times where i have to step away from it and half of my entire business revolves around it you know what i mean like and i just have to stay off of social media because of like the negativity sometimes so that would probably be it 
Fair, man. Fair. Uh, the last question is, what is your biggest hobby purchase or sale regret? Oh, God, that's easy. Um, when Luca came out, uh, the hobby was not how it was back uh, today, at least with retail. But I was someone that loved to open up a lot of products. So I was working at Lowe's Corporate, so I, I was making decent money. And I was going around and buying every single blaster box of Prism I could find. Ended up with about 18, 20 Luca base and about 10 or 12 silvers. Graded them all with PSA. All of them came back 10s except for two that were nines and sold all of them for about uh, his rookie year for well before the silvers were $1,000. So, yeah. Man, that, you know, yeah. I asked that question to all, to all the guests, and usually the usually yeah. the answer has to do with something that they that they purchased. Mm. That you know, but but I, I like hearing the sale ones. I'm sorry sorry to hear that, but you know what? The fact of the matter is, everybody uh, everybody in the hobby has stories like that yeah. right now. So yeah. it's just it's it's just fun to hear kind of the particulars. You oh, know yeah. what they were particularly. I want to just run back here. Frankie says, "I remember paying by money order buying cards <laughs> on eBay." Right? Oh yeah, big time. No doubt. No doubt. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on now. Uh, I'm just going to go back here. We're going to take this comment off. Uh, and Jake says, my regret was also a Luca sale. Oh, I yeah. feel you, Drew. <sighs> That's right, Drew. That's right. Awesome. Uh, sorry, uh, Jake. Um, okay, we're now going to move into the segment that I call, and I gave, a, I gave a preview by accident a few minutes ago, called my PC card of the day. And this is something where I show a card or two. I'm actually going to show three tonight Sweet. that relate somewhat to my guest of the evening. And so Drew is a Colorado Avalanche fan. So Drew, I have some pretty cool, three pretty cool Colorado Avalanche cards that I want to show you. Nice. And, and show the show the show the uh, the viewers as well. So let's see how this goes. Uh, here we go. There we go. Oh. So. The these this is a in the game ultimate memorabilia ultimate emblem one of one Joe Sackick and that is a shoulder patch from the Colorado Avalanche jersey of the the Yeti's uh, foot. So you're probably familiar with that patch. I don't know if you've ever seen the whole patch on one card before. No, but uh, that is that's a card that I've had pretty much since the product came out, and um, I love these ultimate emblems. These big one of ones. Uh, in in future years, they actually had a picture of the player in the corner, which is nice, or a, a, a drawing of the player in the corner, I should say. Yeah. So I have I have three cards. I want to show you the Joe Sackick. I also have a Peter Forsberg, a similar <laughs> card. Thankfully, the the uh, the patch is oriented differently to make it a little bit different from the Joe Sackick. But this is a card that I'm I love. And Peter, For I mean, we're talking Hall of Famers here. Peter yeah. Forsberg is one of the greatest Swedish players of all of all time. Um, and he gets a lot of hobby love for a guy who had a shortened career due to uh, health issues, but mm -hmm. a great, great player. And then the final one I want to show you, Drew, is this Milan oh. Heydu from 2011. These are all one-of-ones, and um, I collected these one-of-ones very heavily from 2008 yeah. when they first came out and, until today. Um, I've got about almost 90 of these cards in my collection, if you can believe it. And uh, these are the three from Colorado that I had, and I thought I'd uh, share them today as my sports cards live nice. PC cards of the day those are those are those are gorgeous man i love them and i, lo I actually love that set i have a patrick wall from that same series um sitting right here 
uh, I love those, and uh, Hey Duke was one of my favorites back in the day. So, and of course, hey Duke Forsberg, was. For, and of course, Forsberg and Sackett, but Hey Duke was one of my guys. So, of course, very uh, nice. I, it's nice here. Hey Duke is, you know, if you're not if you're not a hockey guy, you're like you don't know who Milan yeah, Hey Duke yeah, is. Most yeah. likely, you've never heard of him. Yeah. But Drew Drew can attest he was an excellent player. He played on some great teams with Colorado there um, at some good times and. Uh, yeah, uh, an excellent playmaker. So that's the PC card of the day or cards of the day for today. A couple more comments are ro rolling in here. Uh, Billy says, is Nathan McKinnon the best player in the NHL? Well, I'm probably in the minority that thinks he's right up there. If he's not the best, he's uh, he's like, it's a, you know, between him yeah. and Connor McDavid right now for overall players, it's, uh, yeah, McKinnon might be the better player even. But you're going to get a lot of argument from that. Connor oh, McDavid. yeah. Is such a skilled player. He's absolutely he's, and he's so fast. Connor McDavid can do things skating at like how like 30 kilometers an hour. Uh that you know that you just it blows your mind what he can do with the puck when he's at full speed on his skates. Whereas uh Nathan McKinnon is just a, a beast of a player, he's a playmaker, he sees the game, but he's got a bit more power to his game. So I think there's definitely an argument for that, Billy, that Nathan McKinnon might be the best player in the NHL. And that said, his cards are undervalued if you think he is yes. compared to Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, although Crosby and Ovechkin are all-time greats, legends, icons. They are undervalued, in my opinion, compared to Connor McDavid. Jay Bricks, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. And everybody, if you just got here, don't forget... In about 40 minutes time, I will be coming back with Sports Cards Live after hours. And this is going to be a fun episode because of what happened yesterday. It's going to be a Pokemon-themed episode. I might show a couple of my pickups from this week. But it's going to be fun because I'm not a Pokemon guy, but I'm, I'm trying to learn about it. And um, I'm going to have on my go-to guy as far as Pokemon goes, Karn Rai. And we're also going to have on Jeff Wolf, who is the president of Iconic Auctions. And they sold the PSA 10 Charizard last night to rapper logic for $220,000 breaking records. I believe the previous high was the Steve Aoki purchase of hundred at $170,000 we talked about earlier. So you'll definitely want to stick around or come back later. Watch that. We're going to, we're going to talk to Jeff. We're going to talk to Karn and I'm kind of looking to this uh, after hours episode to be a bit of a, a tutorial, if you will, for me, uh, a research for me into, into Pokemon. Cause I do want to learn about it. I am, I am becoming uh it, it, I'll admit it, you know, yeah. I'm a cardboard guy, Drew. I, I yeah. like sports cards, but yeah. I'm a cardboard guy. So it, it's tough for me to ignore a whole segment of cardboard, you know, just because mm -hmm. I'm this card, this show is called Sports Cards Live, right? It's not called Pokemon Cards Live, but yeah. I want to learn about it. And I don't, because I don't yeah. want to miss out and I want to be able, I want to know about it. I think I should know about it. And I, and yeah. I, I'm finding what I've learned so far to be enjoyable. So, after Hours Night is going to be a Pokemon-themed episode. And I'll also mention to everybody, if you are Pokemon, uh, if you do like Pokemon, and I haven't announced this yet to anybody, October 31st, Halloween night, I'm going to have Karn back again for a full Pokemon episode of Sports Cards Live. And by then, I may even have some cards to show. We will see. Nice. Card Insights, one of my favorite Instagram accounts. Welcome to the show. And Card Insights on Instagram just had to update their now <laughs> called Card Insights 2. So if you're not following them on Instagram yet, you're looking for Card Insights 2. says, I picked up many Ronald Acuna Jr. cards in 2018 best based on Drew's recommendations. Nice <laughs> call, Drew. 
Shout out Drew. Yeah, no problem, bud. Yeah, I'm sure you're getting some offers right now. I know I am. <laughs> Hold them a little longer. Don't get rid of all of them. Good stuff. Good stuff. Eric says, I try and keep an open mind to all cards. Yeah. That's the approach, man. Yeah, you have to. Well, you know what, Drew? I agree, but you don't have to. If no. you're open-minded, yeah. if you're open-minded, yeah. open and I think you're smart, and you're maybe a little bit opportunistic, yeah. and you are, op you know, just being open-minded is, is a much more enjoyable way to approach life in yeah. any anyway. So I recommend it. But yeah, totally agree with you, Eric. Paul notes that Jeremy has Charizard on eBay watch list. <laughs> he does, Paul. He does. But I got more than just Charizard on my watch list. We'll get into that a little bit later. Eric, thank you very much. Eric, Thanks. F1 is interesting to Eric. See, and I respect that 100%. Mm -hmm. It doesn't interest me because I've never followed the sport. Yeah. I'm more interested, I'd be more interested in, in some tennis cards because mm -hmm. I've watched tennis my whole life. I'm, you know, Venus Williams, you know, Agassi. Andre Agassi, like yeah. those guys interest me in terms of cards. And now Bianca Andreescu, who's actually an Upper Decks Goodwin Champions this year. You know, she's a, a Grand Slam winner, mm -hmm. a, a Canadian like myself. I'll tell you, I was up out of my seats when she won that, uh, just yeah. like I was up out of my seats when the Raptors won the championship last year. Like it was right. very exciting for us Canadians. Very exciting. And Eric confirms, very true. Yep, it's just a good way to lead, lead life and be open-minded to everything and uh, why ignore a segment. And, you know, if you look at these Pokemon cards, and I mean, it's funny to say, I never imagined myself saying this, but I've looked at them so much now that some of these things are, you know, Drew, you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. cardboard, you know, sports cards, it, it's art. It's, it, art. It, it, it's, our, it's, our, it's the mm -hmm. fine art of today's generation. We don't care about Rembrandts and Picassos. We, we being most of us, I, I speak for most of us, right? Yeah. You know, we don't care about that stuff. It, I, I'm not putting, I'm not putting $20 million on my wall in a painting. I'd much rather have sports cards. So, but Pokemon is, is actually art in that, you know, with the sports cards, you take a photograph of a player. You're not making yeah. up what they look like. Pokemon is, is, is like comic book art. It, yeah. It's from scratch. Yeah. And to me, not only is art, but it's a, I don't even want to call it a cultural phenomenon because to me that right. has connotations of maybe a lack of permanence. Mm -hmm. I believe that the Pokemon phenomenon is permanent in culture yes. now. And by permanent, I mean like the next hundred years at yes. least. You know, I jump in. No, 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 no. I, I completely agree with you. And I am so glad that my son got into Pokemon early and dragged me to buy so much of that stuff early on. <laughs> so I kind of had a little bit of knowledge on what it was and everything, but I completely agree with you that the Pokemon market is, is calling it a phenomenon is almost, it's definitely, if it's a phenomenon, it's one that's not going away. Um, it, it is, it is so we talked about international stuff earlier on this show <laughs> pokemon internationally are you kidding me like and no. and you see the people in it now pokemon is here to stay and it is it is a massive massive segment of the hobby you're seeing a lot of crossover from a lot of people getting into both industries people that were into pokemon getting into sports cards and vice versa and I think that's only good for the hobby. I think it's only good for both individual markets. And like you said, those, I mean, you, you look at some of these cards that, uh, that my son pulls in. I mean, they're gorgeous. They, they are beautiful works of art. They are. I believe Pokemon is ingrained in society yes. right now and worldwide, not just Asia. It, yep. It's global now. It's ingrained. 
Um, you know, Logan Paul, as I said at the beginning of the episode, so I know we have some new viewers that weren't here at the, you know, an hour and 55 minutes ago, mm-hmm. that, you know, Logan Paul on his, on his live stream last night, mm-hmm. he had a million, over a million unique viewers watching him open up an original box of the, the original booster packs. You know, that, 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 that he sold off those packs for $11,111 each. It was a charity event. But I watched that live stream. At any given time, there was no less than 250,000 people watching it, up to over 300,000 people at a time with a million uniques yeah. overall that he reported today on Instagram. That's more than you'll get for any sports card at any time, any show, any break, yeah. any, you know, and again, maybe combined. So it's it's here to stay. It, it's it's a, a monster segment. And I, I do not begrudge any sports card collector that says it's not for me. That's yeah. fine. I mean, yeah. You know, just being open-minded doesn't mean you have to like everything. It means right. you maybe consider them and then decide it's not for you. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. But, you know, I liked comic book art. I never cared about the characters. I would never read X-Men. Just just me. I never read X-Men, but I thought the art was cool. The covers were cool. Yeah. It's I kind of have the same approach with Pokemon. I don't I almost want to see the movie or play the game just to get a better understanding. And I do want to do that. Right. But but to me, the art along with the widespread acceptance of these things as as um, collectibles and investables has me very interested. So, and what do we have here? Uh, Eric says, it's cool finally seeing Drew after hearing him on podcasts for the last year. And keep in mind, Eric, you can you can see Drew on, um, on the, the YouTube channel Hobby Hotline where they do, uh, you know, the Saturday morning show, which I'm a big fan of. So don't be afraid to check that out. It's a great way to start your Saturday morning. And uh, this user says it was only a matter of time that Pokemon got the attention it deserves. Look at Magic the Gathering released in 1993. Lots of interest from players, collectors, and investors. Yes, if that is Jeff Wolf commenting, um, (laughs) I completely agree. And again, we will be live with Jeff Wolf from Iconic Auctions and Karn Rai in about 35 minutes. Yam says that 4.6 million people have already watched the replay of his box opening. I mean, we're not. We're gonna have maybe 500 viewers of this show, and he's got 4.6 million viewers to open yeah. up a box of Pokemon cards. I play that down because it's a serious box. It's like opening up a box of yeah, tops baseball, right? Like yeah, it's of that magnitude. Brian Palmer says, "I've never played Pokemon in my life, but I find the current explosion strangely and utterly compelling." Yeah, <laughs> we are not alone, Brian. We are not yep. alone. Eric, I need to catch that one too. Good, good pun. <laughs> Brian says, also, great episode tonight, gentlemen. Thank you, Brian. Billy says, Magic the Gathering, Rare Lotus PSA 10, signed by the no by the <laughs> no deceased product creator, recently sold for 250K. Well, that I would be the more change. than the more than what um, the Charizard is sold for, but that's a big number. That's a big number yeah. for a card that is just of a flower. It's not even, yeah. I mean, I don't even think it's nice to look at. I, no. I understand it's rarity and how cool it is, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's no real aesthetics to it. Well, I shouldn't say that. To, in my for me and i get why people could find it beautiful still it's still early though yes it is <laughs> uh oh eli welcome to the show and paul tells eli how to get how to get his name on the on the screen thank you for that paul always uh, a great job helping me out there and i greatly appreciate it well drew yeah yeah man i mean listen we we've we've hit our two hours we've covered everything we planned to cool. we can uh it's 
we've done we've done the sports cars live five we've done the pc card of the day i think we, we can wind down so man i'm going to take this opportunity to thank you for joining me tonight i also want to thank you for having me on your let me get that potograph podcast last yeah. month i had a blast doing it with you i listened to it back i want to say your production value is excellent um your, your editing was great too because there was that one point where i was <laughs> my daughter came in and i'm like oh man you're gonna have to edit this out i couldn't i couldn't spot the i couldn't hear the edit so yeah Great job, Ben. I mean, you're, you're very experienced at it. I love what you're doing with Hobby Hotline. Keep up the great work, man. Um, and uh, yeah, if anyone wants to wants to listen to um, you wanna you wanna find Drew on Twitter and Facebook. It's on the ticker right now. LGTP Podcast is where you can find him. And again, you see his logo up in the top left of his screen right now. Let me get that podograph. Search it out. Great podcast, just like his partner, John Newman, who does Sports Card Nation podcast. Another one that I will be on later this month. So we're kind of, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're doing the tours here. We're having a good time with the content. And um, Drew, again, thank you so much, man. Yeah. Awesome guest. And I know I just want to say, you probably have, it's probably been nice and relaxing. You're not having to run the show tonight. No, hey, it's the first time actually I've ever been on StreamYard and not had to produce a show. So, hey, I, I love it. And uh, thanks so much for having me on the show, man. Uh, I love having you call in on the show. Guys, feel free if you do watch the show, please call in. That's what the show is all about, Hobby Hotline. And um, thank you so much for uh, having me on, man. I love what you do and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Drew. All right, man. You stay right there. I'm going to run through a few more comments and we're going to sign off. And everybody, I will be signed back on brand new, brand, brand new broadcast, the same channel, Sports Cards Live, in half an hour's time to break down the day that was uh, the day that the world of Pokemon had <laughs> yesterday. Legion, thank you so much for joining. Yam, yeah, always appreciate having you, man. And I'm and I can't wait to hear your comments uh, in after hours. Paul, thank you so much. Terry, good to have you in the background there tonight. Late to the show after hockey, but we'll go back and watch the start. It was a great episode tonight, uh, Terry. So thank you so much. Everybody else, good night. Drew Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.